Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Hello, everybody. Welcome to day six of my illegal walk in Los Angeles. We're going widescreen today. I want to show you a few things. Here's Tony's Deli. You can't go in there without a mask. It's not safe to eat in there. You see, that's what Eric Garcetti and Mayor Newsom and all their wisdom have decided, is that it's not safe to eat in that restaurant. Look over here, the summer canteen. It's a very nice Thai restaurant. I've eaten there before. Close. You can't eat in there. It's not safe. Not safe to eat in there. You might spread some diseases. Take a look there. Right over there is the coffee bean. See that? You can go in and order coffee in there with a mask on, but you can't sit down at a table outside that restaurant because that's not safe. That's not safe. We're here at the corner of Lancashire and Riverside. All these restaurants are shut down, no eating inside. It's not safe. But right up here, this is safe. That's totally safe. They aren't shutting down the homeless places. In fact, they're, they're encouraging it. They're saying it's fine for them to be here, but you, if you go outside, you have to wear a mask. You can't eat in a restaurant because you might get sick. Garcetti, he loves it here. This is what he wants all of us And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 11th of December, year of our Lord, 2020. And that is Nick Searcy. Man, that guy is cracking me up. We've covered him on the show before. Of course, he is from Justified, one of the best damn series that, per my norm, I did not watch when it was live. I watched it later on, on a binge, and it is just one of the greatest shows ever, and this guy is super funny. If you don't follow him on uh, Twitter, I think it's Yes Nick Searcy, but he's doing these illegal walks, and I just wanted to start with something funny up front, because I could have played way more. That's just one. He's done seven consecutive days giving it to Mayor Garcetti for the stupid lockdown that doesn't equate to science or anything else. He's just doing it because, you know, that's what we do. Today's show, we're going to go into some hate up front because it's kind of hard not to. Media bias, a little violence, and we're going to do a woke section today. 
Um, going early because tomorrow's Army Navy, um, a tradition. My son's going to come over. We're going to have lamb stew, drink a few beers, watch Army Navy game. And then Sunday, we're going to go fishing, me and the wife. So I couldn't get the podcast in then. Um, for a scheduling announcement, we will then do a Wednesday podcast next week. It'll be political. And then Sunday the 20th um, will be the Christmas show. Um, you know, I'm talking to family and, you know, my sister can't listen to all these. It's not her bag, but, you know, I, I want to go back to the old method. And the old method was once a week we did a pl- uh, politics and once a week we did a news and social media nuggets, which then got changed to woke. But it'll go back to news and social media nuggets where we do military corner, TV reviews, movie reviews, uh, gay shit, everything's racist, college crazy, and climate change stuff. Because it's fun and it's a little more lighthearted and, and gets you a couple laughs while we're talking about the stupid politics that are killing our nation. Because right now... We got problems. This is a dem rep from Michigan. So this is just a warning to you Trumpers. Be careful. Walk lightly. We ain't playing with you. Enough of the shenanigans. Enough is enough. And for those of you who are soldiers, you know how to do it. Do it right. Be in order. Make them pay. All you soldiers, soldiers of Christ, soldiers against racism, soldiers against misogyny, soldiers against domestic violence and domestic terrorism, Soldiers, rise. It's time for you to rise. Soldiers, soldiers for Christ. Hmm. Soldiers against racism. Soldiers against misogyny. Soldiers for black and brown people who are being mistreated rise soldier i'm good i'm okay i'm not worried i'm not going into uh, i'm not going underground i'm not changing my fucking phone number i ain't doing none of that but we're gonna change some shit that's been going on in the city of detroit Things that have happened to our people in our community. Oh, yes. The Biden and Harris administration owes the city of Detroit. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. I put my life on the line for not only the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, the city of Detroit, I put my life on the line for justice, for democracy. And mind you, I never called anyone out of their names, of course, unless they're liars or dumbasses. 
I appreciate you. Let's do things a little bit differently. We don't have to call people out of their names. We don't have to make threats. All we need to do is use your own words and use your own voicemail messages and use your own videos. Use your own shit. It won't be your words. It will be the words of hate. It will be the words of hatred. And then the whole world can see. That is fucking horrible. But um, here's Chris Cuomo. Brothers and sisters, this is the worst of times. The reference is not a nod to a tale of two cities. We are all together in a single world of pain. We've never had more starving from a pandemic in modern times. Today, more died from this virus than on any single day before. And yet, it will now get worse. Partisans with poisonous intent are trying to create a crisis on top of a crisis. This moment will be remembered for what happens next. And I want to be on record to you and to all as an American, as a journalist, and as an officer of the court. Trump and his party are trying to kill our democracy with these efforts. And I accuse them of this high crime tonight. This is wrong. See, he might do it in fancy words, but it's the same thing. And it's all because the right actually has a reason to protest an election. Now, 17 states, as we talk about, I think it's 18, but 17 as of yesterday, have taken up a case to the Supreme Court. And it's based on disenfranchisement because illegally elected officials changed the laws. It's a very smart lawsuit, if you think about it. And these people are pissed off about it. It couples with what just broke and will be our next subject, of course, Hunter Biden. But instead of saying, let the process work out, uh, we need to let the process work out. Uh, we need to, this is serious stuff like we did in 2016. No. No, no, no. We're going to have soldiers attack you. Joel Kurth. Cynthia Johnson, as crowds jeer, objected Giuliani hearing, I see no Detroiters. There's no one in this room to represent Detroiters. She is gaveled out of order to voicing concerns because witnesses are not under oath. You are allowing people to come in and lie. How do you know these witnesses are telling the truth about Democrat intimidation? Because you're witnessing Michigan legislator openly intimidating them on the floor. Michigan Democrat State Representative Cynthia Johnson threatens real Donald Trump supporters in a Facebook Live video Tuesday saying it's a warning message to those who support the president. Another leftist threatens violence against America. Do I need to play it? We just did our 500th. This is what they do. Josh Hawkins. I just want to note that when she's playing the victim a few days from now, I won't be feeling sorry for her. This is disgraceful. Imagine the outrage of a Republican did it. More of the unity and healing that we've heard so much about. Maybe she should focus on the dumpster fire that is the city of Detroit. And Saranovich, when I saw this video last night, 
didn't think it was real. Other articles. Um, Alexis Salvi, Michigan State Representative Cynthia Johnson, is stripped of her assignments, is under investigation for her threats against Trump supporters. Robbie Starbucks, breaking. Cynthia Johnson has had her committee assignments in the Michigan House taken from her. She's now being investigated to see if further disciplinary action is necessary. I can tell Michigan House Dems Lee Chatfield right now that further action is needed. She must resign. But it's normal on the left. This is what they do. They can say whatever they want and there's no problem. Just in the media this week, last week on MSNBC, David Brooks said, and I'm not playing this because I'm sick of David Brooks. He's supposed to be an independent. There's demand for conspiracy theories on the right because blue cities are thriving and people left behind in the rural parts of America feel threatened. But let's play it. We'll play it live. Right. Well, I think that the core problem is not the Internet. A lot of people are like, oh, it's the Internet. It's the Internet. But look at how much more Republicans are affected by conspiracy theories than Democrats. Uh, so it can't just be the Internet. There must be some demand. And I think there are two core problems here. One is a lot of people in the expert class um, live in blue cities who are thriving. And then a lot of people left behind in the rural parts of America they feel threatened economically, culturally, socially, and they have no contact with the expert class. So the thing to do, one, we, we those of us in the expert class or in journalism uh, and academia, have to do a better job of reaching out and, and post-Trump establishing relationships. Showing- uh, let, let's break this down real quick. Everybody in the blue cities are leaving because of the taxation and the stupid laws. There's a fucking 800,000-person petition to recall Newsom. Those aren't Republicans. There isn't 800,000 Republicans in California. The fact of the matter is, this is the arrogance and the hubris, the expert class. Well, listen, Mr. Expert. Back in 2017, you guys said Trump worked for Putin. He was a Russian agent. Don Jr. was a Russian agent. Ivanka was a Russian agent, and everything you said was false. You said Jesse Smollett was real. You said Bubba Wallace was real. You said Covington Catholic kids needed to be punched in the face. You write articles like the LA Times this week, How to De-Trumpify America. That's an article. People are done. They're just done. They've watched four years of you guys saying America's a garbage fire, destroying it, and playing politics about everything, including COVID. And 17 states took up a real charge. It's not a guess, a feeling that Trump works for Russia It's actually real. Elected officials without legislation changed election law and just mailed out ballots and then chose not to check signatures, not to check return dates, not to do any of it. There are municipalities that have added more votes to the total than were mailed out. 
Those are all facts, as the Obama administration said. And they're faced with everything starting to come out. The truth is coming out. Here's two of them. A Biden person saying uh, he doesn't care about America's safety. He thinks about the world. And then Pelosi and Durbin with a Crenshaw, which I'm going to play. It's a little long. They finally admit, hey, we didn't do the COVID relief because we didn't want Trump to win. Vaccine. The president just signed an executive order to try to put Americans at the front of the line when it comes to vaccines. Granted, it doesn't really have any teeth because pharmaceutical companies have already made deals and guarantees with with other nations around the world. But I just wonder if that's what you were worried about when you kept saying and warning against vaccine nationalism. That's exactly what we were worried about. Instead, what should be done is the Defense Production Act, which is they should be scaling up lots and lots of manufacturing so that not just the U.S. gets vaccines, but everybody gets vaccines. So mm-hmm. this is this reservation system is exactly the type of thing we were concerned about. Well, what did you think when you heard the president say that? I was I knew it was coming and I was just incredibly disappointed. Um, I'm much more optimistic about uh, the president-elect and the COVID task force, this eminent task force that he's put together. I think we're going to see a lot more sensible policy making in the United States. Um, but that starts, you know, January 20th, and we have still some yeah. dark months to live ahead till then. Have you been speaking to the president-elect directly? Yes, we have. So what did you... And maybe you and Bill tell President-elect Joe Biden, you believe, uh, you know, task number one on day one is for his administration on this front. One of the things I know about President-elect Biden is he's not just thinking about how to keep Americans safe. He's thinking about global leadership, about how to keep everybody safe. And the great news is we will add more money to our economy if we get everybody else vaccinated. Make big, bold changes through executive action not just on policing and climate, like we talked about previously, but in healthcare, in education, on gun violence, on a range of issues. There's a really a lot you can do uh, through guidance and uh, executive action. Senator Bernie Sanders said that Democrats turned down a deal from the White House for $1.8 trillion because Schumer and Pelosi wanted $2.2 trillion. Now you're looking at a compromise deal of about half of the White House offered, $908 billion. We don't even know if we're going to be able to see that passed. Uh, looking back, was it a mistake for Pelosi and Schumer to turn down $1.8 trillion? There was some exuberance involved because an election was coming, and they were both outbidding one another and trying to find some common ground. They didn't reach that point. But to return to those pre-election days and, and sentiments, political sentiments, is very difficult. Excess, Mr. Crenshaw, for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, I rise today to unequivocally condemn, in the strongest possible terms, the actions of the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. Just last week, referring to her obstruction of bipartisan targeted relief bills that we could have voted on on this floor, she said, quote, don't characterize what we did before as a mistake. This was not a mistake. It was a decision, end quote. When asked what had changed, why she is finally coming to the table on COVID relief, her response was simple. A new president. We've known for months that Speaker Pelosi was holding the American people hostage for political gain. I've said it. My colleagues have said it. While Americans suffered under unscientific, foolish lockdowns, 
Pelosi withheld relief for political purposes. Not policy purposes, but political purposes. But we now have a full admission. She said the quiet part out loud. This was never about what was best for the American people. Never about honest policy disagreement. It was about preventing President Trump from getting any credit. It was about politics. Speaker Pelosi made a simple calculation. She bet that if she could keep Congress from reaching a deal on COVID relief, that would hurt President Trump and Republicans and give her more power. Even when members of her own party asked her to bring common sense, standalone, bipartisan relief measures to the House floor that would easily become law, she refused. She would say over and over again that nothing is better than something. And she was being honest. She honestly believed that nothing was better than something, but better for who? Not for the American people, that's for sure. She believed that nothing was better than something for her and her party. It's hard to imagine a more awful and heartless strategy. And what's worse, Speaker Pelosi does all of this while people in her home state suffer from unscientific, unconstitutional lockdowns The Democrat leaders in California are forcing upon their citizens. These lockdowns are not based in science. They never have been. Study after study shows that they yield little, if any, benefits, but they impose extreme costs on the small businesses suffering under them. You know what else? The Democrat leaders making these executive orders, they know this too, because they're violating their own guidelines. The Speaker of the House couldn't even let a pesky little lockdown get in the way of a haircut appointment, even though those same lockdowns destroy the lives of her constituents. We've all seen the heartbreaking video of Angela Marsden, the owner of Pineapple Hill Saloon and Grill in Los Angeles. Everyone should have to watch that testimony as Democrats shut down her outdoor, outdoor dining while a Hollywood studio sets up shop right next door. She represents millions of Americans suffering who have taken note of the hypocrisy of these lockdowns, of the double standards, as big businesses can operate freely while small businesses are shamed into submission and told wrongly that they are the ones who must sacrifice to slow the spread, that the demise of the business they spent their whole lives building is the price to pay because if it just saves one life. But this is unscientific nonsense. And we all know it. Study after study shows outdoor dining is safe, that outbreaks are not occurring because of our small businesses, our gyms, our restaurants, our salons. And yet these small businesses are in the crosshairs of cowardly politicians across the country. This madness has to stop. This arbitrary application of executive orders is deeply, deeply unconstitutional. Justice Gorsuch recently stated, there is no world in which the Constitution tolerates color-coded executive edicts that reopen liquor stores and bike shops, but shutter churches, synagogues, and mosques. Americans have had enough. It is time to stand up against the hypocrisy of these so-called leaders deliberately harming the citizens they claim to represent and to condemn the deeply partisan actions of the Speaker of this House. I yield back. None of that was put out. Nobody paid attention to it. The media spent the whole time lying and saying it was the GOP.
I mean, really think about it, boys and girls. I think it's getting to a point where the entire the entire country is starting to wake up and pay attention. And I'm not talking conservatives. Normals are starting to go, what the fuck? This COVID shit makes no sense. This makes no sense. That makes no sense. And let's be honest, the expert class has zero integrity, David Brooks. Nobody believes what you say anymore because everything you say is based on politics. Scott Adams, Trump's got impeached for allegedly withholding Ukrainian aid for political reasons. Nancy Pelosi withheld coronavirus aid from Americans for political reasons. But the media is not going to pull it out. Byron York, an appalling moment at Speaker Pelosi's news conference after months of stonewalling Trump's efforts to pass targeted short-term relief for millions of Americans suffering the pandemic. She changed her mind. A relief measure Pelosi has been blocking for months is now okay. A total game changer, a new president, and a vaccine, she explained. As policy has made no sense, my condition, why conditions help for struggling Americans to develop of a vaccine? Did the lack of vaccine in recent months with virus raging make it more urgent to help people? And why refuse to assist suddenly unemployed Americans until Trump has been defeated? Pelosi's explanation revealed cold political calculation, but it also suggests that personal obsession driving a refusal to approve aid at a time when millions of Americans were out of jobs, stretching to pay rent, struggling to buy food, desperately trying to make ends meet. Short version, Pelosi suffered from a terrible case of TDS. Remember the show she made of tearing up State of Union dress, calling worldwide pandemic the Trump virus, storming out of the White House, starting impeachment before even seeing evidence? That is the same Pelosi who blocked virus relief efforts in election year, when relief bill would have helped millions of Americans, but might also have and similarly affect boost Trump's re-election. Now the election is gone, Pelosi's way, and presto, she's ready to deal. But don't ask her if she was wrong. Pelosi lashed out when Porter's after was a mistake. That was not a mistake, it was a decision. After election, Pelosi believes her decision has paid off. She waited Trump out. Now she'll deal. The good news is relief might be on the way for suffering Americans. Side benefit, Pelosi's ugly Trump obsession might be easing too. Too bad she couldn't get over it months ago. Do you know what our media be saying if this was a Republican? Oh, wait, I do know. Mitch McConnell, piece of shit. And it goes into our next Politico the NPR. We're not going to report a story that's not really a story. It's a distraction. And Ben Shapiro, before I play the sound bites, Hunter Biden's been under investigation since 2018. We only found out about this now. The media didn't dig into allegations about Hunter during the entirety of the 2020 election. Many declared that the stories from New York Post were Russian disinformation. Meanwhile, according to CNN, the DOJ kept their investigation quiet due to Justice Department guidelines prohibiting overt actions that could affect an election, the person said, which means they kept quiet to affect an election. So here's the thing about the members of the media now screaming about the undermining of democracy. Fuck right off. 
Your job was to bring relevant information to the American public. You ignored it because you were largely Democratic mouthpieces. You spent months calling Trump, claiming Trump would burn the mailboxes to stop voting. You suggested Stacey Abrams was governor of Georgia due to voter suppression. You openly screamed for censorship for social media directed at alternative sources of information you refused to cover. There are many kinds of threats to democracy. As a famous former newspaper once said, democracy dies in darkness. You guys are all too often the people turning out I just want to deal in fact because there is so much speculation out there and there is zero evidence that Hunter Biden or Joe Biden did anything wrong here. We should note, again, you, you and I have said this in the air many times, there is no evidence that Joe Biden was you know, involved in any wrongdoing. Of course, I want to note that there is no evidence that Joe Biden or Hunter Biden has done anything wrong. I just want to reiterate. And let's be clear for the viewers. There is no evidence Biden did anything wrong. I'll note again because it's important. There is no, I repeat, no. There is no evidence that either Biden did anything illegal. There's been no evidence. There was no evidence. There's no evidence. There is no evidence. There is not an iota of evidence. No, no evidence, evidence Biden, Biden did, did anything, anything wrong. wrong. There's really no evidence that Joe Biden did anything wrong. Nobody's ever accused uh, that, I mean, there's no evidence whatsoever that Joe Biden did anything wrong. Got that? Joe Biden did nothing wrong. Hunter Biden did nothing wrong. Biden's secret emails. A really fishy story. The Post claimed that the emails were found on a laptop computer that was brought to a repair shop in Delaware in the spring of 2019. The FBI is now investigating whether those alleged Hunter Biden emails are actually connected to a larger foreign intelligence operation. They may be related to a foreign intelligence operation. Foreign intelligence operation. Foreign intelligence. Foreign intelligence. Foreign intelligence operation. For all we know, these emails are made up. The information found on the laptop may be part of a Russian disinformation campaign. Part of a Russian uh, disinformation uh, effort. Described by many intelligence experts as having hallmarks. All the hallmark, hallmarks, rather. All the hallmarks of a Russian. Or Russian. Russian disinformation. Russian disinformation. Disinformation campaign. This is a classic example of the right-wing media machine. Don't drag the intelligence community into this. Hunter Biden's laptop is not part of some Russian disinformation campaign. The intelligence community doesn't believe that uh, because there's no intelligence that supports that. Now there's also news tonight involving the president-elect's son, Hunter Biden. David Hunter Biden says he is being investigated by federal prosecutors in Delaware over his taxes. Now the specifics of this investigation are unknown, but in a statement Hunter Biden says he is taking the matter very seriously and is confident that he handled his affairs quote, legally and appropriately. Sources tonight tell us that this investigation began in 2018, well before Joe Biden launched his candidacy. And the announcement comes as Mr. Biden's son, Hunter Biden, revealed that the U.S. attorney in Delaware is investigating his taxes. Hunter Biden's admission today that his tax affairs are under investigation comes as CBS News has learned the FBI has been looking into the younger Biden's financial records since 2018. Hunter Biden said it will be proven he acted legally and appropriately, while aides to his father said he is proud of his son, who emerged stronger after enduring vicious personal attacks by Republicans during the campaign. On that Hunter Biden investigation, CBS News has learned that law enforcement didn't actively pursue the case in the weeks leading up to November 3rd, keeping with Justice Department policy of mostly freezing politically sensitive cases leading up to Election Day. But now clearly the case is active again. As President-elect Joe Biden moves forward with his transition, tonight there is new scrutiny of his son, Hunter, 
a federal investigation involving his taxes. Hunter Biden's business dealings in Ukraine and China while his father was vice president were the target of attacks by President Trump during the campaign. Where's Hunter? In 2019, President Trump was impeached for pressuring the president of Ukraine to investigate the Bidens, but was ultimately acquitted. Hunter Biden has denied any... This is CNN Breaking News. And we are back with breaking news in our 2020 lead moments ago. President-elect Joe Biden's son, Hunter, announced that the U.S. attorney in Delaware has notified his lawyer that the U.S. attorney has investigated Hunter Biden's taxes. Hunter Biden saying in a statement, quote, I learned yesterday for the first time that the U.S. attorney's office in Delaware advised my legal counsel also yesterday that they are investigating my tax affairs. I take this matter very seriously, but I am confident that a professional and objective review of these matters will demonstrate that I handled my affairs legally and appropriately, including with the benefit of professional tax advisors, unquote. The Biden transition team also released a statement saying, quote, President-elect Biden is deeply proud of his son, who has fought through difficult challenges, including the vicious personal attacks of recent months, only to emerge stronger, unquote. CNN senior justice correspondent Evan Perez joins me now on the phone. And Evan, what more do we know about this U.S. attorney's investigation? Uh, Jake, we know that this is an investigation that began uh, as far back as 2018. Uh, in the recent months, it had been put on hold. Uh, as a result of Justice Department rules that require, uh, you know, uh, politically sensitive investigations uh, to sort of go uh, at least on pause uh, so as not to interfere with the election. We know that right after the election, uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office in Delaware uh, informed uh, the agents that have been working the case that they were no longer under that restriction, that they could now take overt steps, uh, steps that could become public. And so that's what Hunter Biden uh, is now referring to, uh, just so you know, uh, we have been talking to Hunter Biden's uh, attorney for the last couple of days uh, because we were aware of some of these uh, investigative steps that were being taken. We reached out to them. They told us uh, that they were going to get back to us with, uh, with whatever comment they had, and uh, they uh, obviously decided to go public instead uh, of responding to us, just to us. So uh, what we know is that this is an investigation that goes back again to 2018 and has been looking at everything from, uh, from taxes to potential violations of money laundering laws. And it has to do, Jake, with Hunter Biden's business activities in China. Now, uh, in particular, there was an episode uh, that happened in 2017 where uh, Hunter Biden had a meeting with a Chinese businessman by the name of Ye Jianming. And at the end of that meeting, Hunter Biden goes back to his hotel room and he receives a 2.8-carat diamond from, uh, from Ye, from Mr. Ye. Now, uh, Hunter Biden gave an account of this entire episode to The New Yorker in a profile last year, and we're told, uh, our sources tell us, uh, Jake, that this is part of the investigation that the IRS criminal investigation uh, agency, the FBI, the U.S. Attorney's Office in Delaware has been investigating. All right, Evan Perez, thank you so much for the detailed explanation, and obviously uh, we will bring you more information as we learn it. This, once again, is another reason why Americans don't trust the fucking things you say. Natalie Brand, two sources familiar with the investigation, tells CBS the tax investigation Hunter Biden began in 2018. The investigation went quiet during election due to DOJ policy around overt investigation action that could impact an election. Betty Lovell, 
Waseem Kasim has drilled in down for us. Translation, the apparent, the apparatus of the state hid information of the public in order to aid one candidate. I wonder if that policy has also been in place or just for particular elections. The investigation action was definitely silenced since 2018 when it commenced. What was happening before the election season? Amazing how there were no leaks of investigation. But when it came to Trump and his administration, Washington leaked like a sieve. That's all our fucking smoking guns. Glenn Greenwald, the Hunter Biden criminal probe, bolsters a Chinese scholar's claim about Beijing influence of the Biden administration. Professor D. Dongshen said China's close ties to Wall Street and is dealing with Hunter and Abel. It's excerpt more power. We played it a couple podcasts ago. We should and could have learned about these transactions prior to the election had the bulk of the media not corruptly decided to ignore any incriminating reporting on Biden. As is true of so many countries, the U.S. talks much about China, but rarely airs the views of the Chinese and D's speech on the problem they had with Trump and why it was improved now. It's fascinating and revealing, especially given today's news about the criminal probe on Hunter. Just by the way, there was a lot of information on the laptop about Hunter Biden's exploitation of his father's name to pursue dealings with his company, which the probe is targeting. But Silicon Valley censored it, and many were barred from reporting it. NPR. Why haven't you seen any stories from NPR but in New York Post? We don't want to waste our time on stories that are not real stories. He then goes on. From the New York Times article tonight about Hunter, the Biden team has rejected some of the claims made in the New York Post article, but has not disputed the authenticity of the laptop. I'm not going to re-air all this. We covered it. CNN literally was covering it and other things with a lady and a $400 cashmere sweater that said, facts first. I'm not even saying her name. I fucking hate her. Brian Seltzer, over the past 24 hours, the Hunter Biden narrative pushed by the President Trump and his allies and right-wing media started to unravel. Oliver Darcy writes, this was October 23rd. Branson Taylor, hey, Brian and Oliver, you fucks got an update on this? Curtis Hoke. Here's how Brian Seltzer and conservative media Benedict Arnold Oliver Darcy are reacting to the Hunter revelation and the Eric Solwell story. They're expressing no regret about their earlier censorship. Oliver Darcy writes, The news cycle, as chaotic as it has been knowing what stories to focus on, as important as ever. Wednesday provided a great example of this, with Hunter Biden confirming he's investigated for his taxes. See, it had been chasing this news and asked for comment, which likely prompted the Biden camp to go public. Yes, the son of the president-elect being under investigation is a big story. There's no doubt about that. But it's a bigger story that the actual president trying to overturn the results of the U.S. election? No. Darcy adds, One outlet notably falls on this, Fox News. Fox has shown extremely little enthusiasm in covering Trump's many scandals of the year, but it offers outside attention to Hunter Biden. And our next story, which I won't say. What about ism? That's what this is about. This is how they protect Dems all the time. Stephen Miller Joe, Joe Biden will enter the White House facing a special prosecutor and both his sons and brother are in federal investigation. I say that's pretty newsy. Curtis Hoke, they're literally patting themselves on the back claiming Hunter copied 
or cop to this because CNN pressured them. Seltzer and Darcy are bad people. They know that Hunter and Mission proved that the New York Post particular and Tucker, among others, were saying and reporting was true, but they're trying to both sides this. On a different topic, of course, he's rallying to anonymous rumors about the mental health of an elected official that an insufficient actor is far-left causes. It's gross that someone so prominent would support using mental health as an innuendo. Brian Seltzer, Twitter and other social media platforms are exposing lawmakers' infirmities, infirmities to new and harsher scrutiny, violating an unspoken culture of complicity and cover-up. To that, I think most of us would say, good, cover-up culture is harmful. Sweet fucking God, what have you guys done? You've covered up everything. And you know they knew our next story. As we go to our first break, the Solwell case, or the spy that shagged me, will be our soundbite from Tucker. You know they knew. They've all known. But their job is to protect thems. And the revelations about China's attempts to manipulate Congressman Eric Swalwell are particularly eye-opening given his stance as a prominent Russia hoaxer. I saw collusion, you know, from the very beginning when, you know, they were so eager to work uh, with the Russians. You believe that President Trump still is an agent of Russia. What do you mean by that? He acts on their behalf. Our country has seen uh, just a influx of Russians uh, into our political bloodstream. And that's something that did not exist until Donald Trump came on the scene. Uh, those defamatory, slanderous, idiotic comments alone should disqualify him from sitting in the House Intel Committee. But now we know... He's actually susceptible to Chinese manipulation. So is it time to to boot him off that committee? And again, consider a law that says if you've profited off of or been manipulated by the Chinese government, uh, how can you ever work in elected office again or for the government? Joining me now is House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, Congressman. Uh, you know, people might not think committee positions are very important. It might seem a, like a very micro issue. But how important is this story vis a vis our relationship with China and what they're trying to do here. This is only the tip of the iceberg. Because remember what we're hearing. These are Chinese spies that go down to the level of a mayor. They, they court and help a city council member become a congressman. This congressman now gets on the intel committee. They are only selected from the intel committee by the leaders of their party, meaning Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi is one of the Gang of Eight, along with myself. Did Nancy Pelosi know this had transpired when she put him on the committee? We have our senator, Dianne Feinstein, for two decades, the personal assistant that hear all the private phone calls in the car and others, a Chinese spy. Why did the Democrats pull out of the bipartisan China task force I had set up? Why did Speaker Pelosi pull out of that? Why have they denied certain bills that would hold China accountable that have passed the Senate not come to the floor? Why do they focus on Silicon Valley members of Congress? Why is he still on the Intel Committee, let known why is he still a member of Congress? Did Adam Schiff know, as chairman of that committee, that he had this problem? Remember what the Intel Committee gets, information that no other members are able to see. And remember what this member did. He was so preoccupied going after this president, 
he was not protecting our country from bad actors. When he questioned Comey, yeah. he literally set up the questionnaire of what happened to him. Right. This was, Could this an was individual all of the, come in? Yeah. yeah, this was Congressman. This is all holding up the shiny object, the bogus obje object of Russia, 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 Russia. Look at here. Meanwhile, China's going to town on us in other ways, uh, including in his own office. Uh, now, just a couple of months ago, Swalwell was out spreading this lie. Watch. G.N.I. Ratcliffe continues to try and say that China or Iran are equally uh, as threatening as Russia when uh, Russia is the only one who has a strict preference for Donald Trump, is trying to tear down Joe Biden, is actively trying to run misinformation campaigns through Congress. No other country is going that far and has that much resources. So he's vilifying um, Ratcliffe and protecting China. How does this guy get on the Intel Committee? And isn't it time for congressional hearings of some sort about the Chinese influence? Yes. That's why I did the task force. That's why I went forward, the Republicans did, even when the Democrats pulled out a bipartisan. But question, why is he going after the director of Intel, John Radcliffe, who recently came out and showed where China is six times larger spending and spying than Russia is, 12 times larger in Iran. But the only person attacking him is Swalwell. Now we learn why. And why by is the way, this person still there? Yeah, he just responded moments ago, Congressman to the Axios story, saying to Politico, I've been a critic of the president. I've spoken out against him. I was on both committees that worked to impeach him. The timing feels like that should be looked at. So now, let me get this straight. Donald Trump is responsible for not so swell well being duped for two years before Trump became president? What? That's cute. Remember what Swalwell said. He accused the president of everything that he did by lying to the American public yeah. and sitting on the Intel Committee. Congressman, Not thanks. only should yeah. he be removed from the Intel, he should be removed from Congress as well. Well, I think there's going to be a real inquiry into how much he knew, when did he know it, and how did this actually happen? How did it go down? Who opened the door did, here? And when um, did Adam Schiff know and when did the Speaker know? The Speaker yeah. appoints the Democrats to that committee. We need our own whistleblower here. Congressman, thank you so much. And doggedly spent the last year investigating what turned out to be an amazing story. A Chinese intelligence agent called Feng Feng, or she renamed herself when she came to this country, Christine Feng, became a force within the Democratic Party of California. Along the way, she cultivated a number of Democratic office holders. Feng had sexual relationships with at least two of them, identified in the Axios story as mayors from Midwestern cities. Feng also began a relationship with a man called Eric Swalwell. You may recognize that name. Eric Swalwell is a member of the United States Congress. Swalwell sits on the House Intelligence Committee. He is privy to this country's most closely held secrets. Fung's relationship with Swalwell began in 2012. Like so many Chinese spies, Fung used college as her cover. She enrolled as a student at a university in the Bay Area, and she immediately joined a number of left-wing identity politics organizations on campus. From there, she quite naturally began raising money for Democratic candidates. U.S. intelligence officials believe that Fung had a sexual relationship with Eric Falwell, Swalwell. We asked Swalwell's office about that directly today. His staff replied by saying they couldn't comment on whether or not Swalwell had a sexual relationship with Fung because that information might be, quote, classified. They did not elaborate or explain what they meant by that. We do know that when Fung met Swalwell, he was a little-known city councilman in the Bay Area, but he had grand political aspirations. Fung became his regular companion. 
She was photographed with Swalwell at political events several times. She became a financial bundler for his political campaigns. Fung apparently pulled in large amounts of money from a variety of sources to help Eric Swalwell get elected to Congress. It's not entirely clear where all of that money came from. We do know that Fung helped Swalwell secure the support of his district's Asian American community. Political analysts have called that a critical factor in his win in 2012. That's not a new trick for Chinese intelligence services. Another Democrat from the state of California, the state's senior Democrat, Senator Dianne Feinstein, employed a Chinese spy in her office for nearly 20 years. That spy drove Feinstein around and directly assisted her in outreach to Asian American voters. Like the spy that Feinstein hired, Fung gained access to Eric Swalwell's office in Washington. U.S. officials say Fung managed to install an intern in Swalwell's office, almost certainly as a spy for the Chinese government. Now, we don't know the full extent of Fung's intelligence activities in this country. Eventually, she fled the U.S. for China while under FBI investigation. Swalwell claims he hasn't talked to her in years. We do know that in Eric Swalwell, the Chinese government picked a promising vehicle. Swalwell is one of the most high-profile members of Congress. Last year, he ran for President of the United States. At every turn, Eric Swalwell has remained a reliable source of Chinese government propaganda. As a member of the House Intelligence Committee, he styled himself as an expert at spotting foreign interference in our government, remarkably. As you may remember, Swalwell spent years accusing the sitting president of working for a hostile power. The question has shifted uh, from whether the president is working with the Russians to what evidence exists uh, that the president is not working uh, with the Russians. He's betrayed our country, and I don't, I don't say that lightly. I, I worked as a prosecutor for seven years. and I... Betraying the country, by the way, we want evidence before you yeah. say that, but you said an agent of Russia. Yeah, he, he works on their behalf. Do you still believe that the president is a, a Russian agent? I think he acts on Russia's behalf and he puts Russia's interests ahead too often of America's interests. You remember, Judiciary, do you believe the president right now has been an agent of the Russians? Yes, I, I think there's more evidence than he agent. is. Yes, and I, I think all the arrows point in that direction. And I haven't seen a single piece of evidence that he's not. Looking back, it's hard to watch that tape. The irony is overwhelming. It's always those who have the most to hide who attack other people for the very things they've done, always. Even at the time he was saying that, it was very obvious to us that something was very wrong with Eric Swalwell. So two years ago, we asked Swalwell to come on this show and reveal the evidence he claimed he'd collected on Russian collusion. Swalwell came, couldn't turn down a TV opportunity, he made loud noises, and he left. He had no evidence. But he didn't stop making allegations. Here he is at a hearing with Jim Comey back in 2017. I want to talk about the Kremlin playbook. And there are a number of ways that a foreign adversary could seek to influence a person. Do you agree with that? Yes. Financial? Yes, that can be one. Uh, romance, you said, is another? Yes. Compromise? Correct. Setting up a compromise? Sure, to execute on a compromise, yes. How about inadvertently capturing a compromise? meaning they have vast surveillance and you stumble into that surveillance and are caught in a compromise. And then they take that information and try and use it to coerce you? Yeah, yeah that's part of the playbook. Oh, it's part of the playbook. Part of the Kremlin playbook, Eric Swalwell says. So what they do, these foreign intel services, is they use sex, a honey trap, if you will, to set up a compromise. Uh huh. Spoken like a man who knows that subject quite well. 
When the Russia hoax subsided, as it inevitably did because it was a lie, Swalwell turned his energies to his first love, which is defending the government of China from all criticism. In March, Swalwell told the rest of us that we are racist if we describe where the coronavirus came from originally. He said this on Twitter, quote, When lawmakers refer to COVID-19 as a Chinese virus, they're not only misleading the public about a disease with confirmed cases in over 100 countries, they are stoking racism and xenophobia in our communities. Diseases don't have an ethnicity, period. So if you're bored sometime, take those words and type them into Google, and you will find analogs almost precisely to the word in Chinese state media. That's what he was repeating. If you ask Eric Swalwell, blaming the Chinese government for the coronavirus was a mistake. The right reproach is to defer to the Chinese government as much as you possibly can. In 2017, Swalwell expressed outrage that the Trump administration was taking too tough a position with China's ally, North Korea. He wrote this, quote, The president's reckless and inconsistent North Korea strategy risks American lives. Instead, Swalwell demanded, Trump must, quote, talk to experts, allies, and China. Swalwell had been saying similar things for years. In 2013, for example, he demanded that we, quote, engage China and Russia to keep Iran nuclear free. Do you notice a pattern here? Of course you do. And yet here's the amazing thing. As of tonight, with this, all this information public, Eric Swalwell, who has used his office to promote Beijing's talking points, almost word for word, ones that matter, by the way, a man who admits to a close personal relationship with an actual Chinese spy who helped him get elected to Congress, raised money for him, and put an intern, probably another spy, in his office, that man continues to serve on the House Intelligence Committee where he has unrestricted access to classified information. How is this happening? Josh Hawley is a United States Senator. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas Just like the ones I used to know Chestnuts roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose Yuletide carols being sung by choir And folks dressed up like Eskimos Everybody knows It's the most wonderful time of the year Silver bells, silver bells. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, just like the ones I used to know. Memories, Christmas memories. They're the sweetest ones I know. Merry Christmas from Flyover Politic Podcast.
platform was high-speed rail. And in the 15 years, not much has happened, except for this commission, which Quentin heads. And the fact of the matter is that they have put together a proposal, which is now on the ballot as Proposition 1A. Well, one newspaper said, now is not the time because we can't afford it. I would say we can't afford not to do it. The money is two to one matched by federal and private sources. I'm very worried that if this doesn't pass, it'll be our last chance. And therefore, I hope the message goes out, not just to San Francisco, not just to the San Francisco Bay Area, but down through the Central Valley, which will benefit so much from this. This project is our future. And we should not forsake it. It is the ability to move people quickly, safely, and in an environmentally constructive way up and down our state. So I am a big supporter. I will work with the speaker. I will try to get the monies available, Quentin, uh, as soon as we can. Also, to the Bay Area Council and the many California businesses and economic development organizations that have made this important private-public partnership possible. And thank you to our many partners and friends in China for your strong commitment to growing the economic and cultural ties between our two great countries. I'm especially pleased that California's first trade office has its home in Shanghai. And I have a very special connection with Shanghai. As mayor of San Francisco a long time ago, I had the honor of establishing a sister city relationship with Shanghai. It was the first sister city relationship between the United States and a Chinese city. And to this very day, I remember Mayor Wang Daohan very well, and Zhang Zemin and Mayor Zhu Rongji, two of which, both Zhang and Zhu, became uh, president and premier, respectively, of the country. The relationship, though, yielded tremendous economic and cultural benefits, and that's been true over the past 30 years. I know this new office will build on the powerful and unique partnership between California and China. So thank you again as you make this the century of the Pacific. So right up front, that was sound bites of Pelosi and Feinstein talking about the relationship with China. Now remember, Feinstein had a 20-year aide that was a Chinese spy. And it goes back to that old adage, when they're screaming about Russia, 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 it appears they were China, China, China. I mean, a lot of China. And this Solwell stuff with Fang Fang is being played off by Pelosi, who will not remove him from the Intel Committee with this soundbite. was over. You know, that was the end of any communication with those people. So it isn't... Uh, uh, I, I don't. I, mean, I think we should make sure that everybody knows what they are being subjected to. Uh, but I don't know that it means that we have to black t- background checks for every intern who comes into the Capitol. I, I do think uh, that it's unfortunate that Mr. McCarthy is trying to make an issue of this when his leader. We all found out at the same time, the Republican leadership, and that that, that several members had been approached. Hmm? Were you briefed on this? We, we were all at the same moment. The House 
Republican and Democratic leaders and the uh, leadership of the committee were briefed at the same moment. Make sure you know that because he keeps going around saying, when did they know? We knew when they knew. And that, at that time, that was the end of it. But you know what he's trying to do? He's trying to deflect attention from the fact that he has QAnon in his, uh, his delegation over there. Uh, and that, I think, is a danger uh, to, in, in uh, terms of our debate here about, uh, you know, what, what the possibilities are for undue influence uh, in, uh, to members of Congress. Yeah, QAnon. See, it's the one about, they can get away with this all the time. This is not even a huge news story. Just make sure you understand that. This is not gigantic. The media is not freaking out about this. That's why I don't have a fucking bunch of sound bites. They don't really care. Big fucking deal. Sawwell's a good guy. I mean, he, he was just going around on TV talking about Russia, 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 and accusing Trump of all sorts of shit that he was doing himself with a Chinese goddamn spy. That's the story nutshell. Axios is the one that actually broke it. Suspected Chinese spy tar- targeted California politicians. It took the FBI to tell him because he was banging Fang Fang. It took the FBI to tell him. How did he not know? Something doesn't smell right. Exclusive. This is the lady that broke it. Bethany Allen EBR. And I'm sure she's going to get crushed for doing it. A suspected Chinese intelligence operative. Bundled donations for Eric Solwell's 2014 re-election campaign. The operation targeted politicians in California and across the country. Fang took part in fundraising activity for Solwell's campaign. According to Barry, a political operative and current U.S. intelligence official, Solwell's office was direct aware of the activities on his behalf, the political operative said. The same political operative who witnessed Fang fundraising on Solwell's behalf found no evidence of illegal contribution. Federal Election Commission records don't indicate Fang herself made donations, which are prohibited. Fang helped place at least one intern in the Solwell office, according to those same two people. She enrolled as a student at Cal State East Bay. Fang's friend and acquaintance said she was in her 20s or early 30s. She looked younger and blended in well with undergraduate. Arthur Schwartz. This story makes it clear the Chinese spy who was also a fundraiser for Solwell had sexual relationship with elected officials. Solwell, who's married and therefore blackmail risks, must ex- answer whether he did. He says it's top secret. Classified. Can't talk about it. There's pictures of him chumming with her. Bunch of pictures. Other reply. Man, sounds like we should have a national security threat with China and the Democratic Party on our hands. No wonder why they like to downplay the Chinese threat. No shit. Another one. If you read one more thing tonight, read this, and I'm talking to you, Senate Majority Leader. Americans are hurting past COVID. I'm too embarrassed to post this on Twitter, but we have been a month behind on our rent for months, and we were really counting on a stimulus check to get caught up. We have never been behind on rent. I'm retired, and my wife was out of work during the quarantine and now only work part-time. The Senate has really let us down. Please stay 
the way you are being blah, 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 blah. Update. After I posted a DM from a fellow citizen and need a COVID relief, so many of you reached out to help me. What a renewal faith. This is Solwell. He's the one blocking aid. He did this during it. How did Twitter cover this? Because really our point going forward is more social media suppression. And since this story was completely ignored by the media and then it suppressed by Twitter... Solwell Axios investigation report finds that Congressman Eric Solwell cut off fundraising ties to a suspected Chinese intelligence operative once he was notified. So he did the right thing. He didn't do anything wrong. But then you get down to Democratic Party, salary, open secrets. 1014, 1028, 16, 11, 15, 16, 9, 15, 16, 9, 15, 16, 9, 15, 16, 9, 12, 16, 10, 18, 16, and 9, 12, 16. Christine Fang was paid $1,274 by the DNC. She was on the payroll. So how is he covering it? Solwell wants an investigation to who linked it. Solwell demanded Wednesday that there be an investigation who leaked this relationship with a Chinese spy who is accused of having sex with while she worked as a communist honey trap. The former presidential candidate claimed his relationship with Christine Fang or Fang Fang was leaked while he was involved with impeaching Donald Trump and that classified information was being weaponized. Solwell represents a Bay Area district and sits on the House Intelligence Judiciary Committee has refused to confirm whether he fucked her or not. Now he cares about leaks. People are digging all sorts of stuff up. This is Solwell. And it's Don Jr. And I'm going to read it because, yeah, all the things he said about him. Don Jr. How'd that work out? Fart well? Because, yeah, this guy farted on national TV. Stated plainly, the president's son met the Russian spy on on this date. He was playing the Russian spy. House Judiciary. GOP. Defunding the police is serious consequences. Crime is up and American cities are less safe. And they show all the crime statistics. Eric Solwell. You know what defunds the police? Not passing the HEROES Act. Who who do you think is laid off when states and cities face mounting COVID death? Their response. Did Fang Fang tell you to tweet this? <laughs> Eric Solwell tweeting from uh, 2012. Supporting the Cal St. East Bay Chinese Student Association Annual Gala. And Fang Fang is in the picture. Callie McKinney. John Roberts. Press Secretary and Solwell China News. For four years, President Trump was accused of being a Russian operative. It's absolutely breathtaking, remarkable, that the entity that was under control of foreign power was the Democrats, including Eric Solwell. Democrats were accusing the right of something they were doing all along. It was never Russia and the Republicans. It was Democrats and China. 
Will Chamberlain. Solwell couldn't get a security clearance if he was a civilian, but he's on the House Intelligent Committee. Chris Hayes. Solwell's defensiveness here is weird because he's not accused of doing anything wrong, just being kind of duped by a spy. People said, if this was Eric Trump, you'd be losing your fucking mind. But that's how the media is playing it. Because, you know, D. Solwell now suggesting that Trump is behind the... the, uh, Spy story, and of course the good good little lackeys over at Politico, they carried it. Following a report that linked him to a Chinese spy, Solwell suggested the information was leaked to hurt him because of his frequent and loud criticism of Trump. I've been a critic of the president. I've spoken out against him. I was on both committees that worked to impeach him, said in an interview on Tuesday. The timing feels like that should be looked at. Kurt Schilster. Hey! So did you bang Fang, you know, the Chinese spy who the news says was a bundler for you and close friend of you and a bunch of other Democrats? Isn't foreign interference bad? I think you'd have a lot of questions to answer. Do it without farting. Arthur Schwartz. If Sawwell hadn't been banging the Chinese communist spy, he'd be doing wall-to-wall MSDNC hits claiming that this was a Russian disinformation campaign. Instead, all he could say is it's classified. And he's getting away with it. Nothing will happen to him. In fact, the only person that's criticized is Feinstein. And now they're leaking story that her memory's all fucked up. Yeah, that's the latest. That's our media. It's okay. But it's been some funny shit. Tiff, African-American lady. Doesn't look super conservative. Eric Solwell isn't just creepy, he's also a butt-queefing traitor who had a six-year relationship with a Chinese spy. (laughs) Cat turd on Twitter. No matter how bad your year has been, at least you didn't get caught banging a Chinese spy named Fang Fang and fart like a mountain gorilla eating a meat lover's pizza on live TV. Charlie Kirk. I wonder when Rachel Maddow will dedicate entire multiple shows to California Democrats and Eric Solwell's intimate relationship with the Chinese Communist Party. They they won't. Because if you want to see bias, this soundbite made me throw a bottle of water across the room. The Michigan Secretary of State, Jocelyn Benson, said a large group of armed protesters showed up outside her home Saturday night, drawn by the state's decision to certify President-elect Biden as the winner there because he won there. She said that she and her four-year-old son had just finished putting up Christmas decorations. Her son was about to sit down and watch How the Grinch Stole Christmas. That's when the demonstrators arrived. shouting murderer. Later, Secretary Benson tweeted, the individuals gathered outside my home targeted me as Michigan's chief election officer, but their threats were actually aimed at the 5.5 million Michigan citizens who voted in this fall's election seeking to overturn their will. 
they will not succeed in doing so. Jocelyn Benson joins me now. Secretary Benson, I appreciate you joining us. Um, I, just as a citizen, I am sorry for what you are going through. This just seems so insane and unfair. Can you just walk us through, I mean, you're at home with your child and suddenly outside your home. Has this ever happened before? Not to this extent, no. And, and notably, we are in a you know, quiet residential neighborhood in the city of Detroit. There are other families with young children on the same street. So I thought went to them as well as being a mom. I thought, of course, was focused on my little boy and making sure to create an island of calm around him and making sure that he was able to just continue on with his evening and be safe and secure, which which we were able to do successfully. Uh, and then recognizing, as you mentioned, that while these they were targeting me as as my in my role as the state's chief election officer. What I soon realized throughout the evening is that they're actually aiming their attack at our voters, at our democracy. And my job is to defend our democracy, defend our voters, and I'll proudly do that every day, uh, and despite any threats of violence uh, or bullying. And, uh, and, and my job is to really assure every voter, regardless of who they voted for, that their vote counted as it did in this November's election, and uh, that they can be secure that the results are accurate. You hear about the president reaching out to, you know, Republican legislators in various states. Is there any chance in Michigan of the president having uh, any kind of impact on his ability to to change things through, you know, obviously the courts uh, have projected all the arguments that, that they've been putting forward. Is there anything else he can do in Michigan? No, I mean, the results have been certified. The people have spoken. Uh, and their choice is clear, uh, not just for the position of president, but for a number of positions on the ballot. Uh, and so re no amount of, you know, politically charged legislative hearings or bogus legal filings or any other type of elements of this uh, really irresponsible PR campaign is going to change that truth. And so we're calling on all citizens to join us in defending the voice of the people, defending our democracy and ensuring that we all can push back against this onslaught of misinformation that is combining with hateful rhetoric that we've seen in the state for months now to lead to incidents like we saw Saturday night, not just targeting me, not just targeting our voters, but also affecting elected officials on both sides of the aisle all across our state. I mean, everyone remembers the alleged plot foiled in October to kidnap Michigan's governor, uh, Gretchen Whitmer. Is there something about the climate in Michigan now? Do you think the politics in your state that's leading to these sorts of incidents, or is it just what the president is doing, riling people up, and, and these people have chose to respond in this way? I think it's all interconnected, Anderson. We've seen this amount of attacks on our state really all year, uh, and, and perhaps even preceding that. And as someone who started my career investigating hate groups and hate crimes, I've seen firsthand how hateful words and rhetoric, particularly from leaders in positions of power, can lead to hateful actions by followers. And we've seen that in various different ways, not just in Michigan, but throughout the country. And it's particularly pernicious and unfortunate when it starts affecting our democracy, impacting our voters, whether it's through the form of voter suppression prior to November 3rd or now after in the, in the case of voter misinformation. But the bottom line is nothing's going to change the results of this election. Uh, the voters have spoken. Uh, the truth is, has been certified. Uh, the results have been both certified, they are accurate and secure. And my job will continue to be to ensure that truth is known. And my expectation is that elected officials all across the state will do the same. All the conservatives harassed, people physically assaulted, fucking Rand Paul was almost killed. And that's what CNN covered during this time of crazy ass. It's all well. That's what we had.
They literally ran an article about a Dem rep, and it's titled on CNN, Protesters spent nearly an hour outside my home chanting about conspiracy theories. Here's what I learned. Basically the same thing as Brooks. Hey, they're uneducated idiots who watch Fox. Or Newsbusters. That's how CNN handled, handled Solwell. And understand, while this is going on, and I'm not covering the election today, deadly crash closes eastbound lane I-16 near Pooler Parkway for several hours Friday. It's Kelly Loeffner's aide. ABC News conspiracy-minded pro-Trump attorney Sidney Powell saw swift defeat in two cases Sunday morning with federal judges in Michigan and Georgia dismissing her latest effort to overturn the 2019 election. And then they go, how did she die? Our media doesn't care. Our media doesn't care at all. An aide to Kelly Loeffner was killed in a car crash that's under investigation. And we're not covering that. With all the things that are going on, from Solwell to stealing an election, if it was flipped, do you not think that story, you would have heard about it? But you're not. You're going to call everything a conspiracy theory, Because you just want to gloss over that the entire last four years, the Dems were talking about Russia. Somebody was fucking somebody named Fang Fang. So let's do a quick hit on COVID. Because there's still a lot of this going on. What are you recommending? What should be done? Because your governor, your your leading mayors have been very proactive. And so you're suffering this right. terrible ravage from the, from COVID. Right. You're, you're exactly right. I think the governor and uh, the mayors have been adhering to scientific guidance. And so the lockdown, the curfews, all of that, I think is vitally important because, you know, it's based on the uh, census in the intensive care units. And the worst thing in the world that could happen is that the virus continued to affect people and that we not be able to accommodate them with ventilators and the type of care that's needed in the intensive care units. Uh, President Biden now has chosen... I can't comment specifically on what the uh, members of the transition team are doing right now in terms of trying to have conversations uh, across the uh, uh, federal government. I can just say that for individuals such as myself, we're not having those discussions, uh, which is is limiting us in terms of the information that we learn, the information that we can share. Uh, I think right now we all have to understand that we need current information on the number of cases. I think that the White House task force uh, uh, report issued yesterday, or at least be made public yesterday is right on the mark. We are really in a crisis stage. We have to be discussing what can we do? What do we do? You know, it's not just enough to 
help Americans understand you don't want to swap air? How do you incentivize them? How do you help them realize that this is what they want to do? And I've been saying for some time, we need FDR moments right now. We need somebody to say, this is what's happening. This is how bad it is. We're going to see hospitals collapsing in the next two to three weeks. And, and this is what we've got to do to address that. And just remember one thing. For the next three weeks, the cases are already in the pipeline. The people who are infected this morning will be the cases of next week in the hospital a few days after that and we'll be in the intensive care rooms and dying after that. So even if we did everything we could right now, we would still not turn this thing around for literally three to four more weeks. And doctor, what are the practical impacts? I'm curious with all that you just said and where we are now as a nation, what you make of Florida's decision to ease those restrictions, opening up bars and restaurants. Well, that is very concerning to me. I mean, I have, we have always said that myself and Dr. Deborah Burks, who's the coordinator of the task force, that that is something we really need to be careful about because when you're dealing with community spread and you have the kind of congregate setting where people get together, particularly without masks, you're really asking for trouble. Now's the time, actually, to double down a bit. And I don't mean close. When I say that, people get concerned that we're talking about shutting down. We're not talking about shutting anything down. We're talking about common sense type of public health measures that we've been talking about all along. Now, so we're not in uh, great shape to be heading into these colder months. You said no one's talking about a shutdown, but what would it take for you to actually or eventually advocate for one again? You know, I really would like to not go there because it causes so many collateral issues and problems. And when people see that, you know, they're exhausted from that and they're pushing back. So, what I mean, obviously, if things really explode, you'd have to consider that. But we want to do everything we possibly can to avoid an absolute shutdown. In other words, get the cases under control by the common sense types of things that we've been talking about all along, those public health measures. Dr. Fauci, we are nearing a very grim milestone. This is a country awash in pain right now. Look at that woman's face. Listen to her. There are millions of people she speaks for, and we're having these technocratic conversations about committees and this and that. And I understand, I mean, the real blame here is Mitch McConnell, is the Republicans, is the president, is a party that does not want to help people, that is working on one side to actually make sure the pandemic kills as many people as possible. That seems to be the logical consequence of their policy. And then to make sure that all the people who manage to survive it, despite their policy, uh, suffer economically and beyond. But it is also the case that Democrats are not meeting this moment with the muscularity required, even the rhetorical muscle required. Why aren't we hearing thundering speeches from Joe Biden, from Pelosi, from Schumer, making this case in a way that bends public opinion, forces Republicans into a corner? This is not about Medicare for all right now. We're not talking about sweeping social policy. This is not about, you know, do we like reduce our footprint of empire around the world. This is emergency relief in the worst crisis since the Great Depression. And we're having this little Washington committee talk instead of talk of muscularly dealing with uh, the, the restoration of some balance in people's lives, some stability, food on people's tables. And you have word coming out yesterday or today that in Joe Biden's meeting with civil rights leaders this week, he was skeptical of the claims people make about his executive authority. He is not as comfortable 
wielding that executive authority as others are comfortable with him wielding. This is not a time for milk toast. Watch that woman again. Watch that woman again. Watch millions like her. This is a time for dramatic sweeping action. Let's do the math really quick. 250,000 people haven't died and they won't die before the inauguration. Those are all predictions by Biden people. Every one of them is wrong. They're all fucking lies. They're just fucking lies. But they keep rolling out Biden during his first 100 days. Sounds awfully familiar. President-elect Biden. Masking, vaccinations, opening schools. These are the three key goals. But now that he's saying it, everybody likes it. Look who shows up. CNN is poised for another PR debacle with a COVID witness. Last night, one of my many patients with COVID told me he had a large Thanksgiving dinner with family, 22 people. The day after, one family member tested positive. Since then, according to my patient... All 22 people have developed symptoms. If this sounds curious to you, you're hardly alone. To start, this is not anything approaching evidence. This doctor was told an antidote by a patient, nothing more. Nothing is even close to verifiable about this fable. That all 22 of those at the dinner would contract disease seems remote, and this is nothing that could be readily proven. It also defies the odds they would all come down with the symptoms in such a rapid time frame. Well, it claims, well, it seems rather revealing that not everyone has a, doesn't have a skeptical view on this. Hi, I work at CNN. I'd like to chat with you more about this. Do you mind DMing me? Thank you. Don't you think you should confirm the story before you rush it on air? Fuck no. They're trying to scare out Christmas. But you knew it was going to come online. We get stories like this. Raid a former Florida COVID data scientist home could affect other state employees. Legal, legal experts warn. They don't at any time literally go in there and go, wait a minute. This is the lady that di- lied. She's the one that was inflating COVID numbers to make DeSantis look bad. I mean, my, why would we talk about that? Why would we actually put facts out when you can be doing this, MSNBC, Adam Weinstein, U.S. deaths, Pearl Harbor, 2,403, U.S. deaths, COVID, 1 December, 2473, 2 December, 2733, 3 December, he lists every fucking day, people's replies, you want to a Democrat president to round up COVID and put him in camps? I think he wants Democrat president to nuke Wuhan. I mean, what are you saying? Jerry Saltz, Pulitzer winning critic. I love living in New York. A picture of him flipping off Trump Towner. Cuomo, I'm honored to receive 2020 Edward M. Kennedy Institute Award for Inspired Leadership. Noam Blum, Excellence in Killing Award. Because that's all it is. De Blasio threatens to shut down non-compliant Orthodox synagogue once and for all because they won't do what they say. But they're not covering... And COVID-19 relief loans, 
one million millions of dollars went to partially owned businesses by Governor Newsom. None of those stories were covered this week. Because why would they? We're still fear-mongling. We're still going off about how great Biden is. Meanwhile, six weeks till Inauguration Day, President-elect Biden is building out his cabinet. NBC News has now confirmed that Biden selected Ohio Congresswoman Marsha Fudge to lead the Department of Housing and Urban Development. If confirmed, she would be the first black woman to hold that post in decades. CBS News has learned he plans to nominate Ohio Congresswoman Marsha Fudge to run the Department of Housing and Urban Development. And this morning, some new names for his cabinet. We have learned that he plans to name Ohio Representative Marsha Fudge to be the housing secretary. Now, if you're keeping score at home, at this point, the president-elect has appointed a dozen cabinet picks. Eight of them are people of color. Six of them are men. And Gail, six of them are women. Thank you for the breakdown, because a lot of people at are keeping score. But, of course, he did ultimately land on Javier Becerra, who, who is continuing to speak there. But he, you know, is someone who certainly uh, understands health care policy. He helped to lead the fight to defend the Affordable Care Act uh, from California's perspective in the Supreme Court. And he is someone who understands Washington, right? He served 25 years in the House of Representatives. But what he doesn't have really is any experience directly with health care. He hasn't held a health top, excuse me, he hasn't held a top health policy position before. He's never led an agency. He did, of course, on the Hill sit on the, the, the uh, Ways and Means subcommittee that oversees health care issues, but he knows how to manage. And that is what you heard uh, the president-elect there stressing. And he does understand health policy, understands the Affordable Care Act, and he feels that he is someone who can help manage these challenges moving ahead. And those challenges are really monumental. Of course, he also will be the first Latino ever in this position. And that helps Joe Biden to make good on his promise to have the most diverse cabinet going forward. So in choosing Javier Becerra, it helps, I think, to, to reflect a little bit what Joe Biden's priorities here are. But when it comes down to this position, I think it really is about someone who can hit the ground running. It's someone who Joe Biden has to trust implicitly. And he does have a lot of medical experts backing him up. Dr. Anthony Fauci is sticking around. He's actually been promoted in the Biden administration. So there, there will be some very familiar faces. And Vivek Murthy, as the Surgeon General, he's elevating that position in many ways. Joe Biden is going forward. So even though Becerra himself is not a medical professional, he certainly will have uh, a lot of that experience uh, at the ready and those who can help him guide him in making some of these decisions, Eva. Mary, what's the reaction been in D.C. to this list of names that we're seeing? Well, you have seen, you know, it, it's run the gamut. Uh, no one that we've seen a lot of, of huge uh, outright opposition to. Actually, I think Jeff Zients has raised the most concern out of any. He, again, is a manager, right? But he also has a lot of experience uh, in the investment world. And you've seen some, especially uh, from, from the more left flank of the party, raising some concerns about that, about, you know, uh, his ties to some of those investment firms and concerns about, you know, how that may impact his decision making going forward. Zients, again, is not someone who has a lot of health experience, but what he does know is how to manage. And you heard uh, Joe Biden there speaking about his experience getting uh, the healthcare.gov website back up and running. You'll recall that was a huge challenge, a huge problem for the Obama administration. Jeff Zients was the one who really got that back on track. And they feel that he can help bring all the players together here as they go and try and tackle just this huge to-do list ahead of them. So he is getting... 
We are less than a month away from two pivotal runoff elections in Georgia that will decide which political party controls the U.S. Senate. Now, one group of high school influencers in the state is determined to make a difference in those elections. They are beating the pros at registering and motivating young voters. Mark Strassman joins us now again from the Atlanta suburb of Marietta. Mark, good morning to you. How are they doing it? Good morning. I think for starters, uh, teenagers just know how to talk to other teenagers. And so this group, they, they reached out, they worked hard, and they discovered something that a lot of their peers now want to have a voice in what's happening in this country. And with Georgia's runoff elections coming up, this group now has a new challenge. What's going on? Underneath this suburban Atlanta back porch, you'll find a Gen Z wave of voter registration. And what's exciting to me, what's really surprising to me, is that so many people are getting behind that. Back in September, Edward Aguilar and three high school friends launched Students for Tomorrow. If we can embed a stream onto the website, we can pull a ton of voters there. They register young first-time voters, mostly college freshmen across the country. Uh, we've built our own text banking software, our own phone banking software, donor tracking, volunteer tracking, voter tracking. And they've connected with three dozen grassroots organizations. And it just blew up. Tons of people started posting about it. How many new voters did you register? We estimate it to be about 65,000. That number seems huge to me. Does it seem huge to you? Yeah, it's surreal. For Election Day, Students for Tomorrow estimates they registered 18,000 young voters just in Georgia. Joe Biden won this state by about 12,000 votes. And keep in mind... Younger voters coming into the electorate right now just tend to be more ideologically liberal um, um, as compared to other age demographics. Joining me now, Democratic Congressman Cedric Richmond. He is set to be a senior advisor to the new president and the director of the White House Office of Public Engagement. Congressman, thanks so much for being with us this morning. We just talked to Dr. Fauci, who heaped praise uh, on all these selections. I should ask, though, Javier Becerra to be Secretary of Health and Human Services. There have been some people calling for a doctor or a physician or a scientist to hold that role. What's the thinking for why not? Well, I'll tell you, uh, typically a doctor does not hold that role. That is a uh, large agency. Uh, that deals with so many things. And so we have a Surgeon General. We have a bunch of medical professionals all over uh, the administration. But here we need uh, Javier's unique expertise, and that is uh, fighting for the Affordable Care Act, fighting for uh, fence line communities, environmental justice, all of those things that are part of President-elect Joe Biden's agenda that fall under HHS. Uh, we needed someone with a lot of experience managing a large department, and he comes from the uh, second largest Department of Justice in the country behind the uh, U.S. Department of Justice. And he spent 20 years in the United States Congress on the Ways and Means Committee that ushered in the Affordable Care Act. So his experience is unique, and uh, I think his life experiences, which mm -hmm. we don't talk about enough as a minority, is going to be very important in HHS as we tackle uh, health disparities across the country. So I think it's a phenomenal uh, pick, and it's what uh, President-elect Biden said he would do. I do think that when you look uh, at the contrast here, it's not just uh, the contrast in 
style with the Biden administration that is coming into being. It's also in um, pretty much every form of substance you can get. There are you know, three main things that the Biden uh, nominees seem to all have in common. They have experience in the subject matter that they are being chosen to lead. They have experience uh, in government, mo- most of them. And they also have experience with the principle. And those are all things that four years ago, as we were sitting in a very same, similar position, uh, watching President Trump put together his cabinet, uh, virtually none of those things were true about many of the people he was choosing for his cabinet. In many cases, he had never met some of the people that he was announcing to, to, to lead senior roles. And I think that that contrast is pretty clear as we move forward with um, some of these more senior positions within the, the Biden cabinet. President-elect Joe Biden has announced a string of top appointees who could dramatically change the government's response to the coronavirus pandemic. There are several notable picks here, including the president-elect's choice to lead the Department of Health and Human Services, California Attorney General Javier Becerra. Becerra doesn't have a public health background, but has been a staunch defender of the Affordable Care Act. And prior to his time as California's top lawyer, he helped shepherd it through the House as a congressman. CBS's Nicole Killian with more now on Biden's plan to hit the ground running. Biden unveiled a health team that he hopes can turn the tide. We will take steps that will change the course of this disease. It features a who's who of scientific and medical experts. To lead the Department of Health and Human Services in this time of COVID, NBC News confirms that Joe Biden will nominate Javier Becerra, who is currently California's Attorney General, former member of Congress. If confirmed, the former Democratic Congressman would be the first Latino to head the department. He would play a major role in the new administration's coronavirus response. In California, he worked to protect access to health care. This, this is literally the longest group orgasm we've ever had. They won't stop. They just bite them, bite them, bite them, bite them, bite them, bite them, bite them. But interesting things happened this week. Inauguration committee fails to pass resolution acknowledging Biden as a president-elect. That's never happened. That's never happened. Which makes some of this craziness going on in our media... Like the following sound bites from CNN make sense. This is why every single night I say, how much more do we have to take? And I scream, we all need to live in reality. Yes, Operation Warp Speed, uh, that happened fast. But imagine if in January when those you know, recordings from Bob Woodward, if we had known, if they had acted then, imagine how fast it would have been. I'm going to remain optimistic, glass half full. But being a realist and being a journalist, I have to, I've got to wonder how much further ahead we would have been if we had more buy-in, if the leader of the free world had said, hey, this is serious, it's airborne, we got to do this, we need to do that, and what have you. And as the science changed and evolved, that he would have changed and evolved as well. Early on, masks, they believed that they didn't have, um, that they didn't really have much of an effect. Then uh, a little bit later on, they realized, well, there is some you know, benefit to wearing it. So as the science evolved, the scientists evolved, but guess who never did evolve? So I'm optimistic. I, it would have been great. I was hoping America would get its first dose by now. It would have been great to see Americans up there getting their first dose, doses first, but we start where we start. We begin where we begin, and let's hope we have enough doses. We get enough we don't, people though. to buy in. You can't, you can't uh, hope. Yeah, in, in that case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, but I've, I've spoken to people who said that they can still rejigger. 
They can still figure out where to get more. There are other people who are making vaccines. There's AstraZeneca. There's, you know, so on and so forth. So there's still time for the Biden folks to get in there and to rejigger and to try to get more doses from other places. But that's going to, yes, it's going to take money. But we got money. This is America. They have, to, they have money, but they have, to, they have power of the purse. They have to allocate it. And then it has to be effectively spent. Remember, that last relief bill of this $900 billion, over $400 billion of it is money from the last bill that they never yeah. spent on. Yeah. You know, look, Trump is the fever. He is not the political sickness. These Trumplicans, as I call them in Congress, they're in a box, Don, because they are doubling down on the division. We're not helping them. We're not helping the blue states. Uh, we're not going to hand out this money. We don't believe any of this. COVID's not even real. The election's not real. Nothing's real. So where's their posture to compromise? You know, what they are feeding that base is we'll fight everything at every turn because the enemy is within. But that's what happens when you radicalize people. When you radicalize, as the state TV has done, when you radicalize your viewers, they need more. They've got to go back. It's got to be purer. If you're not giving them the purer stuff, if you're not getting more radical and more radical and that's more right. radical, they're not going to tune in. Hence, so for, hence the Newsmax. So now the president doesn't seem concerned about being a wartime commander. If anything, he seems more like a deserter. He's absent. The American people have given him leave, voting him out of the ballot box, but he still has some weeks left. He has chosen to go AWOL. He's declined to join the fight against COVID. The self-proclaimed wartime president already announcing the terms of surrender in a war he never cared to fight because he could see nothing in it for himself. Not even the credit for saving lives just by putting a piece of cloth over his face. Do you go to a Trump rally and hold a sign that says, Defend Democracy? or stop the steal, or stand for truth. These are admirable emotions. They just don't fit the objective reality of what you're actually fighting for. Without knowing it, you bought into what Abraham Lincoln once called the Wolf's Dictionary. See, back during the real Civil War, Lincoln agonized that both sides believed they were fighting for liberty. Yes, even Confederates who were fighting for slavery under the cloak of states' rights. He addressed the problem in a parable, saying, that when the shepherd drives the wolf from the sheep's throat, the sheep thinks the shepherd is a liberator, while the wolf denounces him as the destroyer of liberty, especially the sheep was a black one. Get it? The wolf and the sheep have very different definitions of liberty. But as the war raged on and some border states voted to abolish slavery, Lincoln said that the wolf's dictionary has been repudiated. We need to repudiate the wolf's dictionary today. They're angry. They're just angry. New York Times mocks GOP delicate dance of absurdity on Biden, forgetting that we all remember 2016. And then they start doing some stuff against Biden. Washington Post. Greg Price, Joe Biden's pick for HUD secretary, as Representative Marcia Fudge, who wrote this letter in 2015 in support of a judge who beat his wife so bad she called re she needed reconstructive surgery. She called him a good man who made a bad mistake. A lot of his people are very, very, uh, no, just feels off. Democrats. An armed services committee questioned Biden's pick, defense secretary. Our nets are yawning about Biden's pick, who vouched for brutally violent judge, because she's black. 
and he, once again, can't even say the right names and positions. And I'm grateful to the members of my COVID team that I'd like to introduce to you now who will lead the way. I'm really proud of this group. For Secretary of Health and Education, I nominated Javier Bacaria. You know, Javier Bashir, excuse me. He currently the Attorney General of California, leading the second largest Justice Department in America. No and no. Wrong office, not the name. I think this literal 17-state thing, because it has merit, and they know what the Dems did, wouldn't be tolerated if the right did it, is making them lose their fucking mind. And for normals, Dave Wasserman, fact, next year Dems will represent 51% of the House representative. But just 16% of the nation's land area, the smallest geographic footprint of any majority in history. It's just unfucking conscionable because people aren't stupid. They know. There's no way Biden got 81 million votes and they lost seats. They try the same stuff. Washington Post media reporter Jeremy Barr. CNN casually refers to a liberal network in a story by one of Fox News in-house team of media reporters. The entire world. Yeah. And then when Fox, the only people trying to ask question, per Pooler, John Ang TV press was shoot away and Wrangler stepped in front of the camera after Griff Jenkins actor asked Jill Biden a reaction to news of Hunter Biden's tax investigation today. This is what it sounded like. Derek Hunter, one reporter from Fox, dared to ask a question. All the other journalists knew their place and simply walked away. Because that's what they do. They walk away. They don't ask the questions. They spend all their time doing the following soundbite as we go into, well, we'll go into our next music break. Um, today's music break. What are we going to listen to? Hmm. Let me see. I will play music today. We'll play a song. Um, you're going to hear, uh, done with unity. They want people in jail. This is a whole soundbite of the media saying that. Then you'll hear the firefighters just really worried about free speech and shit. You'll hear a Christmas song, and then you'll come into not a shocking thing at all. YouTube taking off everything that isn't in line 
with Biden won the election. Let me tell you something about the 69 million people that voted for Donald Trump. These people have revealed themselves for the racist that they are, for the tribalist that they are. You think that's every Trump voter? They voted for this consciously knowing what Donald Trump stood for for the last four years. They know him. Yeah, you are being targeted, but not because you're victims, because you're victimizing the rest of us. And I don't think that they should be forgotten. And I don't think that we should look the other way. I think we need to remember. People must remember and hold you to account. I do think Uh that people need to be held accountable. How much? Are we going to just let pass by? You cannot come into this White House with the idea that these people aren't the enemy. They are. The hottest places in hell are reserved for those who, at a time of moral crisis, remain neutral. Shame on them. They are going to lose way more than this election. We want the prisons so filled with Trumps and Trump flunkies and Trump apologists and Trump enablers that we have to convert Trump buildings into new goddamned Trump prisons. We want enough of them in there that they can hold reunions and birthday parties. Um, you know, Reddit, 4chan to 8chan, what's the answer? What do they, what do these companies need to do in your view uh, to actually help solve some of this? Yeah, no, it's another great question. Uh, and just to, you know, pick up your point, the homogeneity of the media in the 60s and 70s obviously wasn't all a good thing. And we, it was ripe for disruption, and it has been disrupted. And Facebook is one of the big disruptors. I read a pretty good book this year uh, called Facebook, The Inside Story, which was a very well-reported inside account of Facebook searching for the answer to the question you've asked. And I came away with the conclusion that the problems that we face I mean, you know, this is a private corporation that is motivated, as all companies are, to make money, that is acting as a kind of public square, and to expect that it is going to adjust its motivations to preserve democracy or to do the right thing all of the time, it's just naive. It's not, it's not what it's built to do. And the history of Facebook that's described in this narrative is one of continually breaking things and then trying to fix them partially and, and getting better and better at apologizing. But I came away from it thinking, you know, it's a structure. It is not something that can be changed except by changing the structure of it. And, yes, Facebook has moved somewhat. They had a better election in 2020 than they did in 2016. They've learned to put some brakes on, uh, you know, here and there. But you can't uh, get away from the fact that their mission is to connect everybody in the world. That's what motivates Mark Zuckerberg, and it has, it's his passion. And he profoundly believes in free speech. And, you know, those of us in journalism uh, have to come to terms with the fact that free speech, a principle that we hold sacred, is being weaponized against uh, the principles of journalism. And what do we do about that? I, I just say, you know, as, as reporters, we kind of march into this war with our facts uh, nobly shouldered as if they were going to win the day. And what we're seeing is that because of the scale of this alternate reality that you've been talking about, our facts, our principles, our scientific method, it isn't enough. So what do we do? All right, Steve Cole, thank you so much. We'll be reading the new piece for The New Yorker, and we appreciate when, when you ask what's different now, obviously it's you know, 50 years on from the 60s, it's a different country. I wonder if uh, the role of disinformation and 
and the way our media um, distributes it through social media platforms and just the, per- the saturated media culture that we're in doesn't create a different kind of danger than the one Joan Didion observed in San Francisco in 67 and 68. Doesn't uh, the fact that we now have these uh, different social media and other media outlets make it possible that these can become a permanent presence that does not easily disappear from the body politic because they are addressing something people really feel, but they can continually exploit that. Yeah, and I think that's exactly the question because, I mean, it's you can get a little abstract about it, but in the aftermath of Wallace's kind of dying gasp Jim Crow campaign in 1968, the media moved on. Uh, you know, the media were three networks uh, and major newspapers, and they saw his campaign as as a sort of a dying ember that was no longer relevant. Uh, And his voters didn't go away. That we understand clearly now. And obviously, again, the country has changed a lot in 50 years, and it's not a straight line. But these these sources of um, resentment that can be mobilized into demagogic politics have stayed with us. And I think that's the, you, you're asking the question, how long will this persist because there are no um, restraints on, on speech, as our Constitution provides, um, but because also we're so connected and there's so much bottom-up sharing of disinformation and it's so easy to manufacture propaganda and distribute it almost without being detected. Um, you know, Will this provide a residual source of toxicity in our politics? Definitely. Steve, I mean, I guess that's, that's my question for you. I mean, you, you write a little bit about, you know, and, and you make the point that with three big networks, we had a handful of, you know, prominent uh, Newsweekly's uh, mag- uh, papers that, that covered the country at a lot of local journalism. Um, and so the media, quote unquote, as, as people like to think of it, was in fact a relatively focused, uh, narrow group that if they made decisions together could actually impact things. Now, with this fragmented landscape of these major companies, their decision making is obviously part of this, and we know they can't shut everything down by themselves because other websites pop up, but there is still some truth to the fact that they are mass platforms, right? Everyone is on Facebook, or at least, you know, many adults are on Facebook. So they have a bigger responsibility than some of these other, um, you know, Reddit, 4chan, H. Santa can keep the high by set. There's something that is better yet. I want ooh, your Christmas kisses. Lots of nice presents, they're all right But baby, they can't hold me tight I want, ooh, your Christmas kisses Your Christmas kisses Wrap them up pretty one by one Two by two, three by three Then when you've got the wrapping done Give them all to the mistletoe is hung, the tree is trimmed, the carol sung. I want ooh, ooh, your Christmas kisses.
The tree is trimmed, the carol sung. I want, ooh, I want, ooh, I want, ooh, your Christmas kisses, your Christmas kisses, your Christmas kisses. Like the ones I used to know Chestnuts roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose Yuletide cows being sung by choir And folks dressed up like Eskimos Everybody knows It's the most wonderful time of the year Silver bells Silver Just like the ones I used to know Memories, Christmas memories They're the sweetest ones I know Merry Christmas from Flyover Politic Podcast YouTube has announced from December 9th it will block and remove content that contains statements alleging widespread fraud or errors changed the outcome of a historical U.S. presidential election. The Google-owned firm said it was because the safe harbor deadline on December 8th in the presidential election had passed, claiming that enough states have certified their election results. However, there are still outstanding legal challenges that could change the outcome of the election, including one in the Supreme Court. YouTube's statement made no mention of these, and it made no mention of the December 14th Electoral College vote date. The Epoch Times has not declared a winner of the election, but according to the California-based company, we will start removing any piece of content uploaded today or any time after that misleads people by alleging that widespread fraud or errors changed the outcome of the 2020 U.S. presidential election in line with our approach towards historical U.S. presidential elections. For example, we will remove videos claiming that a presidential candidate won the election due to widespread software glitches or counting errors. We will begin enforcing this policy today and will ramp up in the weeks to come. 
As always, news coverage and commentary on these issues can remain on our site if there's sufficient education, documentary, scientific or artistic content. YouTube did not elaborate on the context it requires. The company then said it will guide people to authoritative information provided by corporate news outlets such as ABC, CBS, NBC or CNN. Over the past month since the election, those news outlets have provided little coverage of lawsuits or allegations of election fraud. The Epoch Times has reached out to President Donald Trump's team for comment. On Twitter, YouTube's announcement was slammed by conservative commentators who said the company is engaging in censorship. OAWN's Jack Posobiec wrote, YouTube has declared you are now forbidden from criticizing the government's handling of the election. Several weeks ago, OAWN's YouTube channel was suspended and demonetized. The move is sure to draw the ire of certain members of Congress and Trump himself, who in recent weeks have suggested social media and tech companies should not have the protection of the federal Section 230 law. Lawmakers from both Republican and Democratic parties have signaled the law should be rewritten or repealed, arguing it shields such firms from responsibility. Critics of the measure say it allows big tech firms to get away with censorship and make poor content moderation decisions. Many conservatives have said YouTube and other social media companies have engaged in censoring pro-Trump or conservative viewpoints. An October 2020 lawsuit filed against YouTube in California federal court said the firm repeatedly breached its own terms of service by deleting their pages or suspending them without cause and didn't tell them the reason why. The plaintiff's attorney, M. Chris Armenta, wrote in the complaint, plaintiffs remain baffled as to what, specifically in their content, led them to be part of the massive deplatforming, other than the commonality that they are conservative news channels with widespread audience reach. Armenta argued YouTube violated their First Amendment rights, saying it engaged in state action by capitulating to government coercion to purge the accounts. That's it for today's report. Let's see if this video survives YouTube's purge. You can help get this information to more people by sharing it and hitting the like button. And remember to subscribe to our channel for more. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. I hope you'll come back. Thanks, Tucker. Speaking of censorship and rigging the election. In a blog post to YouTube owned by Google, vowed that its teams are working around the clock to stop what it called harmful misinformation and harmful content. They said they're deeply concerned about, quote, making sure our platform isn't abused to incite real world harm. Now, what does that mean exactly, coming from a company that has caused so much, quote, real world harm? Well, YouTube explained, quote, we will start removing any piece of content uploaded today or any time after that misleads people by alleging that widespread fraud or errors changed the outcome of the 2020 presidential election. The irony here is enough to make you dizzy. The company that rigged the election by suppressing legitimate information in order to influence the outcome of the election, more effectively than any foreign government could ever do, is now telling us to preserve our faith in the election, they need to censor us more. So how exactly are election-related videos causing harm? Well, YouTube doesn't explain that. They would cause harm to YouTube's reputation and Google's reputation much deserved. We need to break this company up, like, immediately. But YouTube does go on to boast that its censorship campaign has already been underway for quite some time. Quote, since September, we've terminated over 8,000 channels and thousands of harmful and misleading election-related videos for violating our existing policies. They use the word terminated, by the way. That's not creepy or anything. Continuing the quote. 
Over 77% of those removed videos were taken down before they had 100 views. What in the world is going on here? Ask rational questions and you reach a dead end because there are no rational answers. This is just flat out totalitarian control over the population. So you can stream the film series Lose Change and it's entirely on you in its entirety on YouTube. That's not a hidden video. It pops up quickly in search results and appears high up on the page. The premise of that film is that the September 11 terror attacks were a false flag operation and that remote controlled drones, not passenger planes, hit the Twin Towers. YouTube's algorithms, one that can smite election videos before they manage to get 100 views, haven't shut that down. There's a lot of stuff on there, by the way, on YouTube that's not only unsupportable, but fully crazy. You can watch thousands of videos explaining how Russia hacked our voting machines or mind-controlled thousands of Americans with Facebook memes. That's how dumb we are. A Facebook meme can take over your brain. One YouTube video from PBS Today, which we pay for, by the way, and shouldn't, goes into great detail about how Russia, quote, swung the 2016 election. You're paying for that crap, state media. It's not true, but whether it's true or not isn't the point. You think Google cares whether it's true? No, they care whether it has the right political message. That does, so they allow it. There's another motivation here, by the way, beyond helping their team. Silicon Valley is trying to destroy the evidence of their own misdeeds. No single group perpetuated more fraud on last month's election than the tech billionaires who are now telling us there was no fraud at all. Harmeet Dillon is a civil rights attorney. She's one of the most dogged First Amendment lawyers. There are very few left in this country, and we're proud to have her on tonight. Harmeet, this is enough to make you feel like, wow, things are falling apart. If they can hide the evidence of their own misdeeds, what can't they do? Well, it is a new development, Tucker, that they're hiding the evidence of their own misdeeds. But anybody who's been watching what Google and the other big tech giants have been doing for years is not surprised that their algorithms are so on point that they are able to, as you pointed out, smite the, smite the very video before it even lands in 100 uh, computer inboxes. And, and, and how they do that is for years they've been writing these algorithms which, uh, which treat different things differently. So if you want to, for example, put out an anti-Semitic uh, video or post on Twitter, they treat that differently than an anti-Muslim video. This is from evidence uh, that has been leaked out of YouTube by its programmers. And, you know, when you look at this situation, you understand, anybody who's been there, that for years, for 3.9 years, they have allowed false information concerning the 2016 election to flourish, thrive, and propagate. Uh, and that'll continue for years to come. When you talk about the harm of an election and in misinformation, what's the harm here? The election has already occurred. So why are they so desperate to eliminate the evidence exactly. and eliminate discussion of it? They're, they're, you, you pointed out one. Uh, some of these tech companies, uh, Facebook has been known to have sent reminders to vote or reminders to register only to Democrats right before the election. I would argue that's a violation of the Federal Election Commission regulations. Uh, and, and, you know, somebody needs to take that up. But 
they want to shame people. They want to shame all these YouTube creators who make their living off of being on that net, on on that channel. And maybe they should consider that. They want to shame them from ever saying anything that violates the orthodoxy. It's a it's a Pavlovian response that they're trying to elicit here to, right. to keep you away from the 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 danger wire, keep you away from the electrical fence. So and people will do that because people's livelihoods depend on this, and nobody wants to be called a crazy person or somebody who was banned from YouTube. There's no pride in that, and there goes your revenue. So this is about the next election and the next election. These are tactics that that uh, Google appears to have learned from its uh, you know cash cow in China. They've been developing AI intelligence over there, and in China, people uh, people are followed around with these social credit scores. So, so we don't want to see that in here in America, but we're seeing it right now. Tucker, and it's very scary. It's horrifying. Armitian, thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you. The message, in case you're missing it, it's completely true, is that Google in its present state is incompatible with our democracy. You can't have a democracy if Google exists as it does now. It's that simple. Their release sounds like something out of uh, Orwell. Connecting people to information. Well, only a small portion watch, blah, blah, blah. 88% of the videos in the top 10 search related to the election. Commentary and news. Most of them came from NBC and CBS because we forced it down your neck. Yesterday was a safe harbor deadline for the U.S. presidential election, and enough states have certified their election results to determine a president-elect. Given that we will start removing any piece of content uploaded today or any time after, the mistake misleads people by alleging that widespread fraud or errors change the outcome of the 2020 election. In line with our approach toward historical U.S. presidential elections, for example, we will remove videos claiming that a presidential candidate won the election due to widespread software glitches or counting errors. We will begin enforcing this policy today and will ramp up in the weeks to come. As always, news coverage and commentary on these issues can remain on our site if there's sufficient education, documentary, scientific, or artistic content. Basically, obey. That's what they said. Just fucking obey. You shut your fucking mouths. And you accept Biden. Even though we haven't accepted Trump for four years. Let's get woke. Turn it up. Turn it on. So here's a question you may not have considered. Of all the countries on the planet, which country is the least racist? Well, our next guest looked at the data, approached this as a question of social science, and came up with a definitive answer. And beware, if you're a highly paid diversity consultant, you might want to leave the room because she just undermined your reason for getting paid. That's straight ahead.
Well, if you know anything about this show, it's that we are big fans, apostles really, of the book, the tome, White Fragility, and of its deeply accomplished author, Ms. Robin D'Angelo. For example, when Robin D'Angelo told the New York Times in July that capitalism is, quote, dependent on inequality, we couldn't get enough of it. And when she wrote in her book, quote, whiteness has psychological advantages that translate into material returns, we thought, well, that sounds a little racist, but it's so well written. And we took three steps back and asked ourselves, wait, why is this creepy old white lady pretending to be the savior of African Americans? We didn't know the answer, but we gave her a pass. Tonight, though, it's time to have one of those difficult conversations that Robin D'Angelo was always calling for. And here's why. Documents obtained by the Washington Free Beacon and Campus Reform show that this very same Robin D'Angelo made $12,750 to headline a diversity event in October at the University of Wisconsin at Madison. Here's the thing. Another speaker at the very same event, an actual black person called Austin Channing Brown, made just $7,500 for the very same job. Ooh, systemic racism, anyone? Of course, and prepare yourself for a hot blast of irony here, the title of the event was, quote, exposing racism and inequities. <laughs> it's so good. It's got to be a big misunderstanding. And if Robin D'Angelo wants to explain it, of course, she's welcome on this show anytime. Again, to use language she can understand, it is time for a difficult conversation. So we're looking forward to it. We just hope her white fragility doesn't prevent her from accepting. Now, the same people who tell us endlessly that the United States is racist are the same ones encouraging people from non-white countries to come here as soon as possible. That's kind of weird. Why is that? Well, here's our possible future ambassador to China, for example. Watch. Do you think that people who support President Trump and his immigration policies are racist? Anyone who supports this is supporting racism. Our health care system is burdened by racism. We know that our housing is burdened by racism. Our schools are burdened by racism. Yes, the uniform is burdened by racism, but it goes far beyond that. It is a matter of concern for every American that we dismantle systemic racism before it ends the American project in our lifetime. Yeah, so there's the former McKinsey consultant lecturing us about how our country, which he's done nothing but degrade, is a terrible place and we're the reason it is. But it does raise the academic question, how racist is America exactly? Can it be measured? Well, Kathleen Brush thought it could be measured and she tried to measure it. She's the author of Racism and Anti-Racism in the World Before and After 1945. She joins us with the results of her study on this question. Kathleen Brush, thanks for coming on. So how racist oh, well, is the United States? thanks for having States? me. Of course. Um, America is one of the leading anti-racist nations, and you're right, it's the reason I wrote my book is because of people like Pete Buttigieg. Um, I have been studying racism around the world for more than a decade, including visiting 114 nations. I know what systemic racism looks like. It is opposite to the United States. Now, the year 1945 is actual, actually pivotal to understanding discrimination because before it, people didn't see discrimination. They saw ordered societies. Well, in 1945, FDR parlayed American victory in World War II to get global powers to agree to end the colonial subjugation of Africans, Asians, and Europeans, and to get all nations to agree 
to abolish discrimination or to end discrimination. Well, come the early 1970s, America becomes the first nation to have an anti-racist system of government. Meanwhile, the rest of the nations, they didn't honor their commitments. They just continued right on discriminating as they had before. And so this is the reason in the 21st century you can see select populations that still experience slavery, arbitrary detention, statelessness, or just garden variety privileged and unprivileged people. Now, there's lots of examples in my book. but. What I'd like to do is I'd like to cement America's anti-racist bona fides because they are so strong. African Americans are the most prosperous, educated black population in the world. America's Latino GDP is the highest GDP of any Latin American nation, and that includes Brazil with three and a half times the population. Asian Americans are the most educated and prosperous racial group in America. Their incomes are 25% higher than whites on average. For Indian Americans, household income is 60% higher. Now, there is no indigenous population that has been courted to ensure fair compensation for their land, in addition to receiving wealth transfers, protected freedoms, and other concessions than Native Americans. The year 1964, the, the year of our Civil Rights Act of 1964, America's population was 87% white. Today, it is 60% non-Hispanic white. For one, one comparison point, let's look at Liberia, which has a population that is 100% black, because you can only be a citizen of Liberia if you are black. Now, there was a global survey that answered the question, how many people do not want somebody of another race? Am I not talking? Oh. Uh, how many people of another, sorry, how many people of another race uh, do not want, how many people do not want a person of another race as their neighbor? The answer was, in the United States, zero to 5%. In right. Iran and Nigeria, it was 30 to 40%. In France, so it was what, 20 your, to 30%. Just, let me just summarize it. And you're dealing with facts, and facts immediately cause the systemic racism lie to evaporate. Well, after a power outage, which was not very fun, we're back. <laughs> Had to reconstruct most of this podcast. Uh, it went to shit in a handbag. So that was uh, Tucker doing a section on what countries really are racist and of course we already know this because we spend most of our miserable lives being told all the time we're racist pieces of shit america's a cesspool of crap and what spurred me to do a short woke section today is that circling the rounds of people i follow on twitter u.s southern command the tip of the tip of the tip a dude with a delta patch Diversity and inclusion requires action. It requires decisions. It requires leaders that must put themselves out there and must make purposeful decisions. Senator Richard Clark, Commander USACOM, speaking at Tampa Rocks Incorporated over the weekend. Diversity strengths, hashtag special forces. You know. You know with periods of no. And I want you to know that I say no. The purpose of the military is to close with 
and destroy our enemies, not literally worry about our composition of people killing the fucking enemy. I was in shock that that came out, but I shouldn't be. Because this is what we... Well, we are. It has permeated fucking everything. On Twitter right now, his name is uh, Michael Anthony. It is literally impossible to top our topper on our tree, and it's abortion tools. The actual tools used to do abortion. And I found right next to it, if the women belly was glass, no one else would support abortion because you could see the miracle that's happening inside. And it was a facetious tweet by somebody because it's a picture of a man. There's a dick and balls. And that's where we're at. We're in this world, world, weird world where things are all upside down. They make no fucking sense whatsoever because everything's racist. Everything has to be socialist. Everything has to be no gender. It's just insanity. Here's two tri- two more sound bites on the race stuff, and then we'll go into articles to close this out. A white fighter shame because he beat out a black fighter. Yeah, that's the new thing. You're not going to be able to beat up a black fighter. And CBS SWAT, once again. There's been no progress from the L.A. riots to now. None. Was it racist to knock a black man out? That is the question of the Oh, stop asking me that. I said no. It's not racist. <laughs> it's a shitty question. It's a sport. Why is it a shitty question? Do. Why is it a shitty question? Because it, how does this have anything to do with race? It, just, it doesn't. It's a that fine means- question. We got to wake you up. You got to be a part of this conversation. <laughs> That's right. Say no. Honestly, because I'm exhausted. Where were you in 92 when things popped off? Uh, We were still living in Houston. I just turned six. I remember my parents were glued to the TV that whole week. Well, I was right here in South LA. And I didn't have to turn on my TV because I could watch it all through my backyard. And this summer was like I was watching a rerun. Watson, Rodney King. And now George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor. It's the same old show and it doesn't stop. And the gap between black and blue is even wider now. Erica, I turned down Lynch. Because I don't know how I can look a black kid in the eye and tell them they can make things change by joining the LAPD. Because it's not true. Yeah, we're there. We're there. It's, it's, it's fucking fantastic. That's where we're at in our world now. That you can't... No, you can't. But here's... Antifa, the BLM crowd, beating up a journalist, an animal, F, anima, Antifa activist and BLM activist, a Chaz again in Portland. The Portland police was ran the fuck out. Nobody wants to cover this shit. There's a film crew coming through. They're not our friends. Hide your faces. Don't trust them. Film crew walking through. 
did not say that. Girl, say it one more time. Go. Out. We have to be able to be out. Get out of here, man. Who said we wanted to still here? Don't call me guys. And there's a cop. Just get out. You can go now. You guys go. We don't tell them to 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 go. Where are the fruits over here? They might not let you through. Why not? Well, right, I, mean, I don't know why not or right or wrong, but it's like Okay, you guys, this is our Hey, hey! Whoa! Whoa! Yeah, that's some cold shit. Ow! We're walking you out, bro. You're making it harder on yourself. Don't be a tough guy. You weren't taking care of her in the first place. You guys have security. Don't you know oh. from other places? Get the fuck out. We're leaving. I know. We're walking you out. You don't need Please to walk him out. We can walk you out. We can. Yes, we can walk you out. You guys are causing the scene. You shouldn't have been here in the first place. Call the cops. Call the cops. Go file a police report and see how useful they are. And that's what we're getting. Because of all this craziness, we have all this violence because you keep on making people go batshit fucking crazy. That America's a steaming pile of garbage, so good for you. yippee ki Charlene Theron wants lesbian diehard film remake. How about a big fucking no? No. No. Chris Cuomo shames biteable quoting Marco Rubio and other Trumpicans. Marco Rubio. By the sweat of your brow you shall eat bread until you return to the ground from which you were taken. For you are dust, and dust you shall return. Frito, right message, and he and other Trumpicans sit on good relief bill. After months of suffering, he quotes the good book, but does he get a central aim of living in the way of love as truth practices Murthy's and others' real question? Yeah, here's the problem. It's the Dems, and you're for live birth abortion. Codifying Roe, so codify a cock in your mouth. Shut up. SB Nation Outsports shames NFL players for promoting fellowship of Christian athletes. Because once again, we're back to bashing fucking churches. Here's Norton. Now I'd like to take a moment to talk about our faith communities. This is a holy time for multiple faith traditions. Tonight, as a matter of fact, is the first night of Hanukkah. Christmas is two weeks away. The holidays are typically times of joy and community. We gather together, we celebrate our faith, and we celebrate with family. But this year, we need to think about what is truly the most important thing. Is it the worship or the building? For me, God is wherever you are. You don't have to sit in the church pew for God to hear your prayers. So I strongly call on our faith leaders to lead the way and set an example 
for their members. Worship with a mask on is still worship. Worship outside or worship online is still worship. You get no moral high ground, okay? You get no moral high ground. You have singled out churches. You've gone after churches willy-nilly saying that they're the place where COVID was started while you're supporting China, where it actually started. So, no. San Diego schools compelling teachers to attend white privilege. Christopher F. Rufo, it's the same stuff. I won't read it. Lack Land acknowledgement is the new angle. That's the reason why I'm putting it back in the show. Land acknowledgement. Remember, one of Biden's guy wants to walk up to a farmer in Nebraska and say, you don't deserve that land. We're giving it to some black people. That's what he wants. Because, yeah, that makes sense. Sure. Makes total sense. Somehow. I, I don't know how it makes that sense, but, you know, that's that's where we're going now. That's the world we're living in because you're racist, America's racist, and yeah, sounds good. From Campus Reform, I, I, I it was on um, the Tucker clip, and I don't know if we covered it, but I just want to make sure we recover it. University pays $12,750 for author of White Fragility to come speak while they pay a real person from the movement less. So it sounds like writing books about everybody's racist, if you're white, is very, very financially astute. And I think that's why I always bring it up on the show. It's an industry, guys. The reason why we're living in a world that's more racist than it's ever been is because we had a black president. So they were about to lose all their money and they had to go crazy. Students of color exempt from Cornell flu vaccine because of Stonewall. Going to keep doing it, but remember, if you really want woke ice cream that tastes like ice cream, Ben and Jerry's is bringing out a Kaepernick flavor. Yeah, that's that's nice. Dictionary.com Gnome Bloom. They're still pretending that pack the courts means something totally different. Dictionary.com Change the definition for packing court. Yeah, that sounds great. To internet stuff. Um, this one kind of is weird, and I don't know why it came out. Holly calls for legislation, SAS for investigation, to end exploitation on Pornhub. And I guess there's been a lot of underage shit. So Pornhub changes rules after a New York Times report, so this is a weird juxtaposition of liberal and conservative came together. And a huge win for victims of sexual exploitation in their families, Pornhub has changed several of its rules as it, all it took was a scathing New York Times report and the threat of federal investigation. Several of the new site rules as described by its help center was actually suggested by Nicholas Kristoff, aside from limiting immunity so that companies are incentivized to behave better, Kristoff said the proposed rules would help. Pornum has claimed that it now will only upload from verified uploaders. And what's happening is 15-year-old blackmail uh, girls who sent pictures to guys. Revenge porn. 
is all over that site. It is the number one site in our country, if not the world. So that's good to hear. And then uh, nailed it. This guy explains why left wing are much better than right. Daniel Byron. Never heard of him. Right-wing memes are short and sweet because they ask you to appeal to the knee-jerk assumption which have already been deeply coded in your mind by social propaganda. By contrast, leftist memes are tasked with breaking your social brainwashing, which requires complexity and nuance. Right-wing memes do not need several steps of explanation because hierarchy power structures have already done all the work conveying the embedding them deeply in the default social practice. Thus, they are inherently low effort. So, people decided to jam him. Right-wing memes are short and sweet. Went. And now my computer locks up. I want to read it big time. Yeah, that's great. Hold on a second. What do you mean, memes? When do we want it instead of regular jokes? But that's the left. And that's why I covered it. They think they're so superior, intelligent-wise, and everything that they write shit like that and think it makes total sense. Our last thing on the internet, and I know this is a jam together, I promise next week's show will be better on news and social media nuggets. Google collects a frightening amount of frightening amount of data about you. You know, me and the wife had a phone call or a phone call, a conversation last night. And we were sitting there talking about the Google Home. And if you think about it, and I've talked about it on the show, and I know I'm on a rampage for Google because they pushed an election. If you go to search something, a lot of times it auto-completes because your phone is listening to you. Well, you get in this article, and it's from CNET, not an alt-right website. Man, they know your routes. They know where you went. They know what you're buying. They know what, you, what websites you look at. They know everything. And Tucker Carlson's been on a tirade, and I kind of have already been on that tirade, so I take it first, or t- claim first on this one. We need to break away from Google. Uh, Google has way too much power. Google literally owns so much data on all of us, it's fucking scary. And we really need to fix it. So, as we go out toward This Is America, I would be verklempt, or verklempt, I would be wrong, if I didn't play something about, well, I'm not going to, I'll play it, I'm going to play it. Here's John Kerry getting his ass sucked, because remember, he's your new climate czar. Now to our NBC News exclusive, John Kerry, in his first interview since President-elect Biden named him the nation's first climate envoy. Telling our Jeff Bennett the Paris Climate Agreement does not go far enough. Tonight, former Secretary of State John Kerry tells us he's on a critical new mission as President-elect Joe Biden's newly named Special Presidential Envoy to combat climate change. He's deeply committed to it. What Americans should understand is we are in crisis, but this is an opportunity. It's an opportunity for the United States to create millions of jobs, to move into a new, more exciting, cleaner uh, energy base for our economy. Since that deal was signed five years ago, we've had the warmest five years on record. A new UN report says countries have collectively failed to stop the growth of greenhouse gas emissions. And so the question is, does the Paris 
agreement need to be stronger? Yes. Absolutely, yes, it has to be stronger. What should Americans be prepared to sacrifice in order to meet the president-elect's climate goals? That's a great question, and I want to make it crystal clear. Moving to address the climate crisis does not mean you have to sacrifice or lose your quality of life. In fact, we will have more jobs. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the worst soundbite. When the liberal media is pushing one of them agenda story and says, This is America in 2019. Start with these staggering statistics more than 3,000 dead in a day. Nearly 223,000 new infections. Yet President Trump is focused on another number, a fake one, by the way, where he thinks he can overturn the election. The 17 states that signed on to a ludicrous lawsuit aimed at overturning the election and effectively destroying American democracy while Americans die. And while so many Americans are separated from loved ones, their lives turned upside down, their kids' education in limbo, President Trump continues to throw holiday parties largely unmasked and with all the hallmarks of a super spreader event. Here the president is getting cheered on as he is talking about these lawsuits and pushing members of the Supreme Court and high courts to overturn the election for himself. And these maskless idiots are spreading coronavirus tight in a room. Jeff Bennett tweeting here, spare a thought for the White House resident staff and Secret Service agents whose lives are endangered by this wanton recklessness and flouting of COVID precautions. We had a doctor on the show earlier this morning who talks about patients that she has lost that if they had received the vaccine, if it had come sooner, or if perhaps her patient had the special meds that President Trump and Rudy Giuliani received, perhaps that patient would be alive. This is the presidency that many Americans voted for, but I believe are victims of disinformation. We know this, actually. The- that is unfucking believable you have to be living in a super bubble to believe what she just said. We spent four years chasing Russia while we have the president-elect, a senior member in the Senate, and a guy on the Intelligence Committee literally linked to Chinese spies. We have so many voter fraud affidavits, it equals more paperwork than Mueller actually pulled out in a three-year investigation that cost us $30 million and found out Trump doesn't work for Putin. But if the left isn't predictable as a group with that website I talk about, suckers, Hollywood celebs view Trump supporters as gullible fools. And simultaneously, Salon, the Constitution is hopelessly outdated and time 
to re-envision it. So if you think they're not getting ready to scrap everything, oh, oh, they are. And in Wednesday's podcast, we'll also cover the Epoch Times did a timeline of what really happened in Fulton. And my friends, it's it's not, it's not, it's not pretty. It's just not pretty. So, soundbite of the day. Literally love this. The kid that got the liberal Santa and he got, liberal Santa got fired. Well, people came and gave him gifts. This is your soundbite of the day. Just for you. Who is that? Santa. This is Santa. That's right. And I under- that was louder with Crowder, and he literally did the right thing and hooked up that poor kid that got treated like crap. And you know, shame on people for treating kids that way. Um, their intent is to brainwash everybody and treat them like shit, which. Is what this next soundbite is, and then I'll cl- my closing thoughts for the day. Hey, so you know what I don't fucking understand? This is what I don't understand. See this? See this? See see that? This? This is worth fifty dollars. This is worth five dollars. This is the exact same piece of fucking plastic. This is the same thing. We made up these arbitrary numbers, and then we said we can't print more, or else. The, it'll, it'll be worthless. How about just don't let it be worthless? How about just don't tell anybody? Or just like don't let it happen? We literally made this up. This is a construct. We made up. Just don't let it inflate. Just don't. Like people, I, I get, I get inflate, but I don't. Like just don't let it. Fuck. You let this happen. You let this happen. How about you just let everything else happen too? Why don't you just let stuff not inflate? Like just deflate it. Now, conservatives went after this with the, look at this idiot, blah, blah, blah. No. This is what these kids are getting trained on. Since Obama's, you didn't build that. This is where we're at. Kids think there's a money tree and everything should be freaking free. We have Congress people and senators saying 
free college, free food, no rent. We're going to lock you in your house because we want to enslave you into our system where you just basically get paid by us. And then you'll vote for us. I mean, that's what they want. This is what this kid thinks. The whole system is stupid. Money is a construct. You heard her say it, construct. And it made me think as we go through all this, everybody's racist, conservatives are bad, we're trying to steal an election by doing court cases with more validity than Trump's a Russian agent shit that they did. You have the constant beratement of Christianity. And I read this story, these stories back to back. Rare Christmas star to shine brightly for first time in 800 years. During the upcoming winter solstice, the December 21st Jupiter and Saturn will align to create the Bethlehem star. That was a local channel. But if you think about it, that's pretty freaking cool. And it's Christmas. But then I see Amy Siskind, a real journalist. I mean, that's like a big time journalist. Proposed map. New York and California is sick of supporting these red welfare states. The Northeast, Michigan, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Washington, Oregon. California. The problem is, it's the United States of Canada, and she calls it Jesus land with the cross instead of stars. And I think how fucking disgusting that is. How insulting to the 60% of this country that are Christians. And I got angry. And I'm sitting in my basement. Doing for the first time a project for Christmas. For those with the show, I spent last year dying a purse. I got this Katie purse or Emma purse from Tandy. And I wanted to make a turquoise and I stamped it with dragonflies. That came out good. But I didn't know when you dye leather, it doesn't get perfectly one color like I thought it was going to be. And I kept dying and after like 95 bottles, I just gave up. Well, this year I went and bought a cheap gift at Hobby Lobby. It's a coin purse. And I took that coin purse and I stamped it and I sewed it with my little hands because it comes punched and you just thread it together. And I thought how neat this is. I'm going to give her a little gift. She probably won't use it. It's a coin purse. Who has change anymore? But I just did it. And then I sat in here for two hours yesterday and I put together her purse. Got it all done. Just got to get a piece of glue. Or... A bottle of glue to get the metal class to stay. So it'll stay shut. Because I modified it. It had a bunch of pockets and shit. She'll never use it. So I just did the outer shell and the strap. And I thought, kindness. Why is that kid getting shit on by Santa? Why is that kid thinking that money's free? Not enough of us just, by example, show the truth. Why is Christmas shit on all the time? Well, because we clickbait it and give them attention. That's all they want. They want attention for you insulting me because you say Merry Christmas. I don't celebrate Christmas. 
Look at my tree with abortion tools on it. I fell in the trap and I fucking talked about it on the show. Be kind. Let's make this Christmas the end of a shitty year kind. Go out and get something for somebody and make it. A project. There's so many at Hobby Lobby. Make a gift. Be kind. Educate these dumbass kids when you come in contact. Like I've done. Not saying I'm a great guy. I'm just saying I have. Whoa, when this happens, you're not going to have a job. And explain how the economy works. They don't know any better. Yeah, we can look at them and say they're dumbasses, and they are, but in the end, that's all they're exposed to. A media that tells them everything's mean and it should be free. Mean landlords making you pay for the building that they have to pay for. How are they going to pay for it? Do they have their own money tree? We need to be like Dems. But instead of brainwashing people, we just need to show examples of an adult. This is what an adult does. And eventually they're going to get it. They're just going to get it. Because what we're doing now ain't working. Letting them get their attention and calling them a dumbass moonbat like I do. It doesn't work. That's what they want. Then they can call you Jesus land guy. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politics Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends. Send comments to flyoverpolitik with a K at outlook.com. Changing everything. I'm even getting rid of my Gmail accounts. You can get this show on SoundCloud, Pocket Static, TuneIn Radio, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, Down in Pocket Cast. Check out the Twitter account at Fop Tony Reed. The next podcast is going to be Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday. 16 December, year of our Lord, 2020. It will be a news and social media nugget show with a small politics roundup on the backside. And then the 20th of December will be our Christmas show. I will then go dark until the 27th. Disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah, yeah. Spend some time with your people. For those, once again, I hope you enjoyed the 500. This is now 501. I thank you all for listening. The 500 had quite a few listeners, which I really appreciate. And understand, I don't put out the email for shits and giggles. Send me an email. If you want a subject done, I'll cover it. As we go forward into 2021, we're going back to short podcast, a few subjects, a political one once a week, and a crazy college, racist, everybody's a fucking homophobe podcast. That's what we're going to do. Two hours, each one. And some of these single subjects you suggest will be a separate show by itself. So additional contact content, but just one subject. So please send me those emails. Thank you for listening, and as always, take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Twitter account at FopTonyReed and send suggestions or comments to email address FOPPODCAST at gmail.com. 
Remember, the flyover states are the backbone of this country. Never fear flying your flag and standing tall. Ignore the media hate. Ignore the fascist coastal states. Try as they might to bring America down. The patriots of this country will never bow.